If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Are you some fish back in Laura uh, sex trail? And I feel like I already butchered it. Both here <coughs> joining me, uh, representing the Unity Project. And before we jump into this, and before we kind of go on the stories that we were just talking about before we started recording, uh, the first I heard about the Unity Project was through Dr. Robert Malone, who is an all-time favorite on this podcast. I think his episodes, I think his five episodes have more views than the other 680 combined. So I don't know if I'm happy about that or if I just let it go. But would you guys please explain for the listeners exactly what the Unity Project is? Absolutely. So first of all, I'm excited to hear that that your listeners love Robert Malone. We love him as well. He is our chief medical and regulatory officer. Uh, the Unity Project started a few, a few months ago. Believe it or not, we're actually fairly new to this uh, fight, although we have board members that have been in it for a while. Um, and we were formed based on the concept that we knew there are organizations across the state of California and then across the nation, and then we learned across the entire globe that are fighting these insane vaccine mandates. And we were all brought together with the concept that we needed to speak in a unified voice. So the Unity Project, the goal was to become a conduit of collaboration and communication. And I think we've done that very successfully, and our mission continues to grow. We have um, quite a few strategic initiatives, and we have, I think, a really robust board. We have Dr. Peter McAuliffe, Dr. Pierre Corey, just as an example of some of the folks who are on our strategic advisory council. And then, as I mentioned, Dr. Robert Malone um, is our chief medical and regulatory officer. Dr. Aaron Cariotti is our chief of medical ethics. And Dr. Paul Alexander is our chief scientific officer. So uh, we hit the ground running and have have really been fighting as, as hard as we possibly can to push back on, on the vaccine mandates. And then kind of by de facto also the um, the overreach by our government and what's happening in this country. Yeah. Teresa? Um, you know, I think Laura summed up the Unity Project pretty well, but in terms of our initiatives, we did start strictly focused on the vaccine mandates as they pertain to school children K through 12. But what we found is that we there's a necessity for us to expand our focus on all of the overreaches by the government, the mask mandates, the lockdowns, all of it. And so we've come up with a campaign called Do Not Comply, much like you know, everyone else who's in this fight. And we've kind of taken it a little bit of a step further and said, do not comply, nullify. Because essentially what not non-compliance does is it nullifies any existing laws that are unconstitutional in this case. Um, and so what we are calling for is non-compliance for the mass mandates, non-compliance for the lockdowns, definitely non-compliance when it comes to the vaccine mandates, and especially when uh, those vaccine mandates are going to be imposed on children. And we can get into the reasons for why. Um, but what we are finding throughout history 
is that noncompliance is how people in this country and really throughout the world have wronged the rights of their governments upon them and the usurping of their fundamental rights. And here we are, we're talking about bodily autonomy, but more important than that, we're talking about being able to preserve the health and safety of our children against these forced mask mandates and vaccine mandates. And uh, you have governments throughout this, this country saying, that we don't have a right to do that. I can't imagine a fundamental right that is more important. So, you know, again, this call to not comply, and we can get into why non-compliance is so important because we're not finding relief in the courts or necessarily in politics. I believe it was yesterday. I think 62 years ago, yesterday was the first uh, sit-in. I think it was Alabama, but where the four black students went and just sat kind of basically just sat at like a like a cafe diner and there's a picture of them yeah 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 and i was looking at that picture yesterday and i mean i generally just the the thought popped into my head i was like that really wasn't that long ago man i was like you know really really i mean rosa rosa parks is right here behind me and she's saying what are you guys doing don't comply right and if we would just get i mean even the people As I go through my daily life, I see people, this is one of my, um, the most frustrating things that I see you're out and about and you see someone that's wearing a mask, but they're like wearing it under their chin or they're wearing it just like across their lip. And that's frustrating to me because it's clear that what they're doing is literally engaging in an exercise of compliance, right? they, They obviously understand that the mask that they're wearing is not providing any type of, um, health and safety reasons. And that is just an exercise in compliance. And by doing that, you know, they're contributing to the problem. And if every person that felt uh, the way I think a majority of Americans feel about this would just simply say, we're just not going to do this. We're not going to wear a mask. We're not going to vaccinate our children. We're not going to be forced to vaccinate our children in order for our children to enter into just normal society and and engage in normal, healthy milestones, such as in-person learning and sporting events. Um, if every person would just say no, then the government wouldn't be able to move forward with this. Yeah, freedom from compliance. Uh, let alone in-person learning. Sorry, I was going to say that's a fundamental right, right? It's not even about participating in society. You're now you're now uh, threatening to remove fundamental rights of education for non-compliance. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry if I interrupt you guys. I think we got a little bit no, of a no. delay. Go ahead. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I mean, freedom from compliance is that's not freedom. That's it's not a reward. It's not given to you. I mean, it's it's the right of man. Right. It's not given to us by the gov- free freedom from compliance is like you get an extra meal because you are good. And that's what happens when you're in jail. That's not freedom. No one gets to say, all right, Tommy, you've been a good boy. You can go to Walmart. No, 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 no. That's not what we do. You cannot right. shut down all of society dangle it as a treat and then like a bouncer sit in front of it and go you know give me your id all right you can come in no they don't own that and especially if the very thing you need the little token you need is gas produced by pfizer which has paid the biggest regulatory fine in big pharma's history you're not telling me there's a little bit of a collusion or conflict of interest there and as people will see throughout this podcast, when I talk to Dr. Malone or McCullough, my face will get redder and redder as I get more and more passionate. So don't worry, it's not a medical emergency. But it seems like there's a there's a two-pronged approach, right? It's when I first started talking about this and interviewing physicians, my concern was with the VAERS data and how lethal the vaccine seemed. 
And then when I interviewed Dr. McCullough and then Dr. Fareed, I realized the much bigger thing. It's finding the the tooth of the T-Rex and going, well, that's a crazy tooth. And then realizing, oh, wait, there's there's a monster connected to this. And to me, what the monster is, it's not the vaccines, though bad. It's the prevention and inhibition and unilateral censorship of alternative early treatment. 22,000 deaths on various terrible, not to make light of it. That's what, I can't do math, several times, what, 10, 8, 5, 6 times 9-11. But if you look at, as Dr. McCullough says, 85% of deaths, or as Dr. Fareed says, 99% of deaths of 800,000 because they are not allowed to use ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine, as we've seen with Dr. Nass and Dr. Merrick. I mean, we're looking at, I think, 415,000 U.S. soldiers were killed in World War II, not casualties, but fatalities. We're looking at close to double that because of the uh, inability to use these alternative treatments. So to us, not just ramble, what I want to pivot into is how is the Unity Project fight? I think my microphone just cut out. I a little bit. I apologize for that. Being censored. And now you're gone. <laughs> we're being censored. Right, we are being censored right now. Is it coming back through? We good? Is it coming through now? Uh, yeah, yeah, I can hear you. Okay, good. good. I don't know what happened about that. All right. Well, I guess this one's not working. What is the Unity Project doing to yeah. to fight this two pronged attack that we are having from the government and big pharma? Wow, that's a that's a great question. And if I could just touch on what you were saying. So, so the Unity Project, we were formed um, to fight the K through 12 vaccine mandates. And we realized very quickly that that's just kind of an intersection point for a lot of fights that are going on um, around this, the whole concept of, of vaccine mandates and vaccines um, and early treatment. Uh, our doctors, a lot of the doctors that are on our strategic advisory council and on our board have been in the, the fight to get early treatment access for patients. And to your point, before we got on, um, I'll, I'll share for the viewers that we were having a sidebar conversation about the fact that as Parisa and I travel um, throughout the United States, we are confronted by people that are outraged that we wouldn't we would choose to not wear a mask. And they cite the fact that they know people that have died of COVID. And the first thing that I say is, you actually most likely don't know anyone that's died of COVID. What you know is someone that has died because they were denied access from the government um, and from the medical community in order to, you know, excuse me, that you were denied access for early care. And we had a call yesterday with a group of doctors that have come together because a majority of them are doctors that have been in this fight and they have been giving medical exemptions. And as a result, their uh, licenses are now under review. And uh, we had the, the opportunity to attend a Senate hearing with Senate uh, Senator Ron Johnson. And that happened um, on January 24th. And one of the things that Dr. Aaron Cariotti and a lot of the other doctors brought up is that the medical community right now, they're paralyzed right? They don't have the ability to engage in treating their patients based on their Hippocratic oath, right? Um, they, their hands are tied and they're being threatened by being under review and taking away their licenses. And like Dr. Cariotti explained, if you have, as a medical professional, if your license is revoked, you are no longer 
allowed to, to practice medicine. It's not like you get fired from one job and then you can go out and apply to different medical facility. You are no longer allowed to practice medicine in this country and most likely any other country. And this is what the medical community is being threatened with, right? To, to prevent um, doctors from engaging in just basic care for their patients. Um, and Parisa, jump in if you want. I apologize. I, I know I'm rambling I, off. I actually, Tommy, don't, you know, um, you're absolutely right. It's devastating. And a lot of people don't think about the fact that early treatment played such a big part in the deaths that occurred, um, you know, from COVID or as our doctors say, with COVID on the side. But um, I actually think that the T-Rex is the why. Why did they do this? Uh, Why did they prevent early treatment? Why are they vaccinating with a vaccine that is not effective? Why are they vaccinating with a vaccine that is, in fact, dangerous? Um, Why? And, you know, I can say at the very least control, when we can go down conspiracy theory rabbit holes and talk about, you know, depopulation or whatever, I don't want to go there. Because the one thing I do know is that it has nothing to do with health and safety. And from a legal preview uh, purview, it definitely doesn't have to do with health or safety. And that makes it unconstitutional. Um, so my bigger concern, and I think everyone's concern should be, why? Why are governments around the world doing this to their citizens? And in such horrific ways. And then if anybody comes out and speaks out against it, immediately censored. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I heard something earlier today and it was kind of brilliant. This gentleman was doing a TikTok or something. And he said, you know, it used to be that science was a theory and theory naturally entails questioning. It wasn't, it's not scientific ideology. It's scientific theory. And what we learn in school is to question. And now all of a sudden I'm, I'm in an episode about, you know, Nazi Germany or, or, you know, Russia where immediately I'm banned, I'm censored, I'm deplatformed. If I even ask the question, you know, is it possible that early treatment could have worked? Is it possible that these vaccines are not effective? Is it possible that the vaccines are dangerous? Laura and I were on an episode of Fox. They asked us for nearly a week. They chased us to be on air with them. And we were traveling, so we kept having to postpone. And they finally got us on air. And thank God the live airing was recorded. But they did not put our segment on their website because we were raising these exact issues. It's unfortunate. but Yeah, I mean, there's such open lying that's happening. And... I just watched an interview uh, Crave Media did, and I think it's going to be released shortly with Bobby Kennedy. And I suggest that once it gets released, I suggest everyone listen to that because he does a really good job of mapping out um, the at least the monetary trail and, and a lot of the corruption that's happening with regard to pharmaceuticals and just how embedded the pharmaceutical companies are with the NIH, with Dr. Fauci. Um, it, it's... It's unbelievable that this is being allowed to happen in our country. It's, it blows my mind. I was watching TV this morning and I saw no less than four uh, pharmaceutical ads. And, uh, you know, Bobby Kennedy talks about it in this interview, but 
we're one of only two countries in the entire world, I believe New Zealand is the other one, that allows pharmaceutical companies to advertise directly to consumers. Yeah, yeah. And, and now in California, we have absurd bills that are being presented uh, by Senator Richard Pan, where they're proposing to have the age of consent for these vaccines, for the, excuse me, specifically the COVID-19 vaccine, lowered to the age of 12. Can you just imagine telling a 12-year-old that they have the ability to engage in a life-altering decision that is irreparable, that could result in extreme injury or death. Um, You're taking away the parents' rights and handing that over to a 12-year-old. And Senator Pan's response is, well, you know, parents, they they do have a choice. They can choose to not get their child vaccinated and their child can then, and in his own words, there will be ramifications And essentially, the ramifications are that their children will not be able to engage in mainstream society. So they're not going to be able to to go to school. They're not going to be able to engage in sporting events. And in some counties, like L.A. County, they're not even going to be able to go to McDonald's without without presenting their their vaccine card. And to that, I say, again, that's not a choice. If you tell a parent they have a choice to either enroll their child in in a, a science experiment that could potentially result in their death, um, or injury in exchange for going to going to participate in school, that, that's actually not a choice. Not to mention, of course, there's um, there's tremendous amount of data right now on the vaccine injury and just how dangerous these vaccines are for the pediatric population. And uh, somehow the mainstream media is is either glossing over that or completely lying about it. And to Paris's point with regard to this interview, we mentioned the fact that based on the CDC data, it's evident that there are that this virus itself presents statistically zero risk. And, I, and I'm going to actually stop saying statistically zero risk, and I'm just going to say zero risk to the pediatric population because what we now know is, um, I, and I, 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 we looked at these numbers just before we got on with you. I believe there was 1,022. Um, deaths under the age of 18, according to the CDC data that are correlated to COVID-19 since January 4th, 2020, which is when we started tracking this data. Um, But what we also know is that every one of those deaths under the age of 18 have involved significant comorbidities. There has not been a healthy child under the age of 18 that has passed away of COVID-19. But conversely, there have been... um, quite a few verifiable deaths and vaccine injuries uh, to the pediatric population from the vaccines. So if you look at the risk-benefit analysis, it's, it's clear that there is, there's no benefit and all risk in engaging in these vaccines. And I know Parisa probably has more to add to Tommy, that. now that we've monopolized your entire interview, why don't you ask us a question? Uh, no, I, <laughs> hey, I, I ramble nonstop. And I say this, <laughs> I've said this before. A lot of guests, you have to pull teeth to get them to talk. So when people talk, they apologize. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, you're doing my job for me. Thank you. Um, <laughs> no, but it's to, to, kind of, to kind of bring it back in. I mean, the other week I, I interviewed Dr. Steve uh, uh, Kebe, or Keeb, K-E-B-E, and he and I spoke on the phone for like an hour uh, the night before the interview. 
and he was telling me everything that's going on. And he's a 33-year veteran uh, pediatrician. And he was saying how he's never seen any of this before. And but what he kind of closed it out with is, uh, and it's fine because I'm retiring in two weeks, so I, I can talk about this. And I, man, I salute him and I appreciate him coming on here. And this is by no means to be taken as any sort of shade thrown at him. But it makes me think of like, there's this sort of asterisk to who can talk out, right? Who can speak up? Dr. Nass having her license suspended. And as she said on my pot, she goes, well, I was a doctor. And I was like, no, you still are. She, it was forced. She had four complaints, prescribing hydroxychloroquine, prescribing ivermectin, and then two counts of spreading harmful misinformation. And as I said before this, Dr. Merrick, who I interviewed yesterday, was saving lives left and right. And then the hospital said, uh, you can no longer prescribe hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. So he was forced to watch seven patients die, the youngest of whom was 31. I'm 31 right now. And so we see this thing about if they can't speak up and it does make sense. I mean, if you want a much darker, you want a much darker analogy. I've, I've, I've interviewed Delta Force guys, just the hardest of the hardcore guys. And they talk about with you have 10 prisoners and uh, you can't get them to talk during interrogation. And one of them strikes out at you, you shoot them dead. And that's how the other nine shut up. And that's a horrible analogy, but it applies. You make an example of one. And like you said earlier, it's not that, well, I can't be a doctor at this hospital anymore. No, you lose your ability to practice. I didn't even go to medical school. I got into medical school. If someone took away even that little trophy I had that I spent four years working towards, I would probably do anything they said. I would say I would, I'll do anything. So if we have these doctors who can't talk out or they only talk out because they're about to retire or because they just don't care anymore, like Dr. Malone and Dr. McCullough just, you know, torch the village, let's do this thing. The only way we're ever going to move the needle against anything we're talking about, why the vaccines, why the no early treatment, is it a money thing, whatever it is, the only way we're going to start talking about it is if they have an ability to talk about it. And to me, there is an upside to what uh, the establishment's doing. And bear with me. One of my favorite little memes, and it was the background on my phone for like two years, is if the situation was hopeless, their propaganda wouldn't be necessary. Mm -hmm. And it makes me think of, I remember watching this like VHS documentary in middle school about something in the Revolutionary War and something uh, something that we would do is every 10 men on the parapet would have a flag of whatever colony they were in. And it's so we could, you know, know we're in numbers. And one time there are these guys and they're in this like kind of abandoned fort and there was like 10 of them and they saw like the British coming and they were like, shit, like we're dead. So what they did is they put up flags, just a ton of flags and the British knew what that meant. And they were like, oh man, these guys are rolling deep. And so they just (laughs) didn't attack. But the guys there were going, oh my God, that worked. So even that, the flags were their propaganda. It wouldn't be necessary if the situation wasn't hopeless. So when they go to such extents to take away people's licenses, to censor them, kick them off Twitter, this guy's a racist, massage, whatever, to me that says they're in a fort and there's not a whole lot of them. But it looks like there's a lot of them because they have CNN and they have a president saying, you're a whatever, if you don't do this, get your booster, safe and effective, stunning and brave. But to me that says they're terrified. So what's the point of this whole rant? It's, well, then how do we coalesce these people so that we can have our own fort with our own flags? 
And that is what I believe the Unity Project is. So with that segue, how is this pulling in doctors to sort of be safe in numbers and to not get squashed out like Nass or Merrick or Keeb, who, you know, was able to talk out because he was retiring? And I know that was a word salad, but you you guys gave me that leeway, so you get get it. Well, I think that, um, you know, I always say we lead with the science because the science gave us the why we should fight back, right? Um, it was the brave scientists. And by the, by the way, as a side note, Lauren and I know these scientists and these doctors personally. They're remarkable people, not just in their professional fields, as compassionate humans. And you talk about this Dr. Kiba was that, that's going to retire in a little while. Well, Dr. Peter McCullough and Dr. Robert Malone were still active in their professional lives. And Dr. Robert Malone was on a shortlist for a Nobel Prize for, for his discoveries within the mRNA field. So, you know, these are not people that had nothing to lose, right? And as you know, just that little token of being able to spend, you know, four years and then say that you were going to get into medical school is so valuable, right? Um, can you imagine what it's like for them, this entire career of decades that they've worked so hard and tirelessly to build and now someone is discrediting them but they are still standing up with zero to gain with everything to lose and they have lost and and it keeps going over and over again right because they're constantly badgered they're constantly slandered and and defamed um yet they're here and the reason that they're here is because they truly care and so hopefully at some point you know the the uh mainstream public will look at that and go oh okay well they have nothing to gain. They have everything to lose by speaking out. The fact that they're speaking out and the fact that they're so incredibly knowledgeable. You're talking about people that are at the very top of their field. If we're talking about myocarditis as being a risk for, um, you know, the vaccine, there's no one better than Dr. Peter McCullough, right? The foremost cardiologist in the world, the most published doctor in the world, I think in history, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And then you have Dr. Robert Malone, who invented the technology for the mRNA. These are, even if you deny him that, he's at least incredibly knowledge, knowledge, more knowledgeable than, you know, anyone else you might know. And so here they are talking against this thing. And so you're starting to have people come and listen. And as far as the Unity Project is concerned, you know, um, we, we're pushing this information. But again, back to what I was originally saying, we're leading with that science, right? We're leading with these highly educated, knowledgeable individuals that can tell us that you are being lied to, and here's the truth about the science and the medicine behind all of this stuff, COVID, early treatment, the vaccines, and that then will lead us to the law. And that's where you bring in the law and you say, because these, let's stick with the vaccines, because these vaccines do not prevent transmission of the underlying virus, and and we've been taught that by our doctors, we now know that they are unconstitutional because you constitutionally cannot mandate the use of a drug that does not serve public health and safety. And if it doesn't prevent transmission, then the only person that it might be benefiting that particular drug is the individual, right? The contention is that, you know, even the CDC admits it doesn't prevent infection or transmission, but it'll keep you from getting less, you know, more sick or end up in the hospital or die. 
which, you know, even that at this point is debatable, but let's just say that's true. Great. That's great for you as the individual. That has no bearing on anyone around you. So, you know, use the science, lead to the law. And then when you present it to the public, like we're trying to do through the Unity Project and our different channels and our strategic partners, then hopefully you you end up with logic. And hopefully, you know, everyone can kind of snap to and go, okay, nothing has made sense, but this makes sense. And so, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that's what'll snap everyone out of this mass psychosis that we talk about, this mass formation psychosis, but um, that's yet to be seen. And to add to what Parisa was saying and also um, just address how the Unity Project is helping, what we're doing is really offering a platform for these doctors and scientists to connect with these grassroots organizations across the country that are doing the really heavy lifting and, and they've been in this fight. So we're offering them a platform to be able to communicate, get the message out, get the science, get the medical information out there. And then in addition to that, we have partnered with uh, the Global COVID Summit. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. Uh, this is an organization of doctors that have they're all medical doctors and they've actually signed an oath that essentially states what's happening with regard to the COVID pandemic response and the lack of, uh, of access to early treatment and the mandating of these vaccines. It's really essentially a crime against humanity. And they, so when we started, I believe there was about 15,000 doctors uh, that were associated with this. I believe we're now up to 27,000 doctors that have signed on to the global COVID summit. And the power in that is that it's a community, community of medical professionals uh, that are all collaborating together to support one another, to get this message out. Uh, they have a, a roadshow, I guess, for lack of a better term, where they go to different cities and they actually present to the general public. But not only are they presenting to the general public, they're actually encouraging the medical professionals in that you know specific area to come out and to see the presentation and to have a Q&A session and get their questions um, answered. I know a lot of medical professionals right now, because I've asked this question, you know, I say, why, why are so many doctors going along with this? Aside from the obvious, right, that their licenses are put on the line. Um, there's also, I think, this aspect of, of medical professionals that are really just, you know, they're, they're getting the memo from the CDC and they're taking their marching orders. And they're not really, um, they're operating under this assumption that the CDC is pumping out information that's in the best interest of the overall public health and safety. And so what happens with the Global COVID Summit and these opportunities to have, you know, these incredible doctors that have been at the forefront of fighting the, the pandemic, they've been, a lot of them have actually been at the forefront of looking at what early treatment can do and looking at what's happening with regard to these vaccines and whether it's through treating patients or through clinical trials, they've had their, they've really been immersed in this. So they're the subject matter experts. Um, and so you get these subject matter experts in front of the medical community and they can help to educate uh, the rest of, of their peers. And that I think has been, uh, I think a really successful tool. So uh, of course, the, the strategy for the Unity Project is, is constantly evolving. Parisa is uh, our general counsel. I'm not sure that we said that at the beginning of, of this podcast, but Parisa is our president and general counsel. 
And she works tirelessly to develop legal strategy. And I, I have to say, I'll, I'll, I'll give her some kudos. She's brilliant. And she's come up with some really creative ways to attack this. And the most recent, I'm going to hand it over to her, but the most recent being, you know, fighting, we're actually looking at templating discrimination lawsuits because there's so much discrimination happening. And by doing that, there's this whole ripple effect of, of being able to fight these vaccine mandates. And I know Parisa probably can give, give more framework to that than I could. Of course, my dogs are barking That's, in the middle of this interview. <laughs> it's you. You are you are guest one hundred of, of people who have had dogs barking. Don't it's it's, it's part of the thing. And, you know, Tommy, just to get back to, I think you tried to ask us this twice, and it's you know, I think it's a pragmatic question if I'm if I'm not mistaken about what Unity Project is doing. You know, in terms of all the information that that Laura and I just gave, we are making tangible resources available to um, people who are um, either our strategic partners or within their group, our followers. So we have um, resources for school boards. Uh, I've written a resolution let me apologize right now, it's over five pages long, um, for school boards, and, and we leave it in word format so that school boards and parents can manipulate it as they see fit. It's chock full of laws that pertain to California codes of education, as well as data about the safety and efficacy of the vaccines. Um, and we, we provide a multitude of letters, non-consent letters. I'm drafting one right now with regard to the mask mandate um, and the uproar we've had in the community, as I'm sure you're aware that our governor went to the football game on Sunday maskless and took pictures gallivanting around town, as did our mayor of L.A. Um, so parents are up in arms about that and everyone's had enough. And um, so I'm, I'm doing a letter for that. Um, and we have a lot of partners that have resources within their own um, community and their own organizations. Right now, there's this whole um there's this whole campaign around the surety funds and we think they're actually incredibly creative and, and so far have been successful. And so we will link to another organization um, that is doing that work and we will drive traffic to them. So it's about providing uh, tangible resources to the people who come to our website. It's about providing webinars and, and events that they can attend. Um, but it's also about making sure that we are this conduit for other organizations throughout the state of California and now, quite frankly, the world. Um, even though we are new, we have not only um, garnered relationships with other organizations throughout the United States, but now we are affiliated with some in Australia and Canada. Um, I think there's also one in the United Kingdom. And so we are trying to get their messages out, um, assist in amplifying the campaigns that they might have going, um, and also, um, you know, uh, provide information to their followers or, or their, their affiliates. And so, you know, hence the name, Unity Project. That's really what we're trying to do. We're trying to unify everyone because you only have power in numbers if you are all saying the same thing. Got to have the same voice. So um, I hope that answers the question. No, 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 it does. And um, that's that's something I often do when I'm, you know, interviewing people who are part of an organization is and it's not it's not me like trying to put them on the hot seat, but it's like what's actually going on. You know, anyone can say like, 
you got to fight evil, save planet Earth. And it's like, what are we doing? And it's like, follow my Twitter. And you're like, dude, that's not a thing. You're just, they're just trying to get laid. Like, I respect the When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That's not a that's not yeah. a thing. Versus, you know, you you I mean, the analogy I always use. Who is even like, has time for that? I, that's what I mean. <laughs> but like, what I mean is like, so when people say, you know, the the planet's dying or something, to me, I always look to like, what's the little thing I can do? Because otherwise, you do one of two things: you either fall into helplessness. I can't do anything. What am I going to do? I'm sitting in an apartment. How am I going to, you know, clean the ocean? And then the other thing you can do is. You fall into the, well, the government will do it and we'll all put our money and the thing will happen. And yeah, you sign a petition, but you don't actually do anything. That whole thing. It's like Coney 2012, like nothing comes from that, but everybody pats themselves on the back versus it's like, all right, well, I have a second trash can. It it costs like 15 bucks, but now I put the plastic in the cans in there. I'm like, I recycle now. I'm like, there's a thing I did. And so that's why I try to ask, like, what is the tangible things? Because otherwise, we're all we're all patting your, ourselves on the back. And I, I do like that answer. It's it is a real thing. And one thing I was thinking of when you were speaking was, it, for the for the individual that is affected by these things, is there anywhere they can go to? So let's say like, um, uh, uh m- mom's mad at me because I'm going out to you know whatever trick or treat past ten, and I'm like. I don't just say, I'm like, dad said I could, you know, I go d- get dad. I'm like, he, here's the expert. This is dad. You know, he's an expert in, in dadness and dad's like, you know, they said he could do it. You know, when I brought on like uh, Joe Kent, who's running for Congress out of Washington state, I purposely brought him on with Dr. Malone so that in the future, when someone says, Mr. Kent, you know, you, you were special forces. Sure. But you know, what do you know about medicine? He can say, listen, I don't know, but you can look at my interview with Dr. Malone, who, you know, has the nine patents on MRNA, blah, blah, blah. So is there anything that people in California or wherever who, you know, are saying you can't give my kid this vaccine or this is why I'm not complying? It's they're going out trick or treating and there's there's an angry mom. Where can they go and say this is what dad said? Is there an easy link to just here's where it says in like, you know, the state code or here's what this medical professional or they just go big guns and be like, dude, this isn't the Nuremberg code. Is there something they can do so they don't feel helpless? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, Laura, if I could take the beginning of this one and then sure. I'm go for it over to you and maybe talk about the Align yeah. Act. Um, so, I, right, I'm an attorney, right? Um, I don't say anything without citing it. Yeah. Um, it's just in my nature, it's in my practice, and I, and I agree with you. It's necessary, especially in this day and age, right? You cannot say anything unless you are able to back it up with evidence. So for instance, we have a, um, we have a one pager on our website. It's called, did you know, and that has a bunch of facts and every single one of those facts about COVID and about, uh, the vaccine are cited. 
um, are cited with links that you can go to. We're constantly having to check them because you know everything is banned or shadow banned. And so uh, we need to keep it up to date. We just checked it again the other day and so far everything is up. Um, so yes, and, and you know, when we started this movement together, Laura and I and some other moms, um, we said from the beginning, that we will not say anything without citing it. And we are going to cite from the CDC, the FDA, or the manufacturers themselves, because we didn't want to go down this pathway of, you know, my source against your source and who's credible and who's not. And I saw it on Instagram. I saw it on YouTube. None of that. Um, we cite mostly from the CDC. And, um, you know, that way it's, I, I, yeah. I personally, and I know Laura too, we treat it like we're in a courtroom. You lead with your best evidence. You lead with your, well, you lead with your best argument and you use the strongest evidence. And to the extent that you can, you use the opposition's evidence against them. And so um, everything that you will find on our site, even that resolution for the school boards will be cited line by line. Yeah, we have a pretty robust website right now. It's evolving um, because, you know, obviously there's so much information that's coming at us. This situation is so dynamic. Um, but to Parisa's point, you'll be able to log into unityproject.com and you can see a toolbox for parents. Uh, that toolbox contains all kinds of information. It also contains, um, gives them tools to help speak to their school. Uh, if they want to go and speak to their school board, they they have a plethora of information that they can use. We've even taken um, statements, video statements from the, the doctors that are on our board as well as the scientists and parse them down to two to three minute clips because that's essentially the time that you're usually given when you're speaking to a school board. So if they themselves don't want to speak and they want to just get, get up in front of the school board and present the uh, video statements, we've got that. We've had parents reaching out to us across the country in absolute dire straits saying they're in a custody battle. One, per, uh, one parent wants to get their, the child vaccinated, one doesn't. Uh, they're asking for the doctors to, to be uh, subject matter experts and expert witnesses. Unfortunately, all these doctors can't be at every single family matter um, hearing across the country. So what we've done is we've put resources on the website where there's actual documentation as well as video statements that they can present in court um, the, to talks about the dangers to the pediatric population from these vaccines and why all of these doctors and scientists are advising against um, getting a normal, healthy child uh, vaccinated with the COVID-19 vaccine. So um, I would encourage anyone to go to unityproject.com because we've got a plethora of, of information and resources and tools that the layperson um, can access all the way up to professionals um, that, that they can access. And, you know, one of the things that I would say along those same lines, just because it kind of popped into my mind, is that no, no one in this country is operating under informed consent. Yeah. There's not a single person in this country that's operating under informed consent. And I would even challenge and say that I don't believe anyone from the FDA uh, who are obviously the authorizing body for the emergency youth use authorization for these vaccines. No one is because no one has seen truly what is in uh, these vaccines. We have yet to see the Pfizer and the Moderna data and the Johnson & Johnson data on these vaccines, the, the impact and what's contained within them. Uh, and I think that's a really, it just popped into my mind. It was a really important point that I wanted to make sure that, that we didn't miss. <laughs> 
talking about. You should talk about the Align app. <laughs> right. Thank you, Parisa. Yeah, we have. So we've partnered with an organization that has an incredibly cool uh, website that we're using to deploy many different types of campaigns that are targeting different um, entities or individuals. And I'll just give you an example. Uh, in the state of California, we know, it's really not even the state of California, I'm going to say the entire country. Some of probably, in my opinion, the most powerful and at the same time, most corrupt entities are the teachers unions. And we also know that, in my opinion, the teachers union is probably single-handedly responsible for keeping our country locked down, keeping our kids out of school, and now pushing to have our children vaccinated in order to attend in-person learning. And so Parisa came to us very early on and said, listen, how do we, how do we go at the, the unions? And she cited an example um, in California when this was all going on, the prison guard union was supposed to be vaccinated. And lo and behold, like in the 11th hour, all of a sudden, the governor, Gavin Newsom of California, said that he was going to repeal that and, and make it so that they did not have to get vaccinated. And of course, everyone's sitting here saying, why on earth would prison guards not be mandated, but yet you're mandating your children to go to school? And if you, it doesn't take a lot of digging to uncover the fact that the prison guard union donated, and you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, Carissa, I believe it was $1.75 million to Gavin Newsom's recall um, efforts, not in, in, in support of him, right? And so it became very clear just how powerful um, these 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 unions are. And so we partnered with an organization called um, Freedom Foundation, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong, Teresa. And this organization, their specialty is to help um, members exit unions. And we said, we need to target the teachers union. And so we have a whole campaign going around that. But then recently we decided we're going to target the president of the teachers union specifically. We have thousands of teachers, believe it or not, that have come to us and said they are horrified by the vaccine mandates and the impact that it's having on their students and them as teachers, just in order to, to remain gainfully employed. And so uh, we were targeting the teachers union. We are targeting the, the president of the teachers union. Um, and there's so many, um, you know, I said before, before this call, I was on another one and I said, I feel like at any given time, my brain is like one of those detective shows and you see the murder board with all the red strings, like lines going across to connect everything. Um, but it's so important. Every one of these strategies that we put together has the ability to really change the trajectory of what's happening and, um, not to be too all, all over the place, but I mentioned before about the discrimination lawsuits and, and there's so many, I think, powerful uh, points to what if you know these discrimination lawsuits could uncover. And what I mean by that is, it, can you imagine across the state of California, if, you know, after we template these lawsuits and give attorneys access to to this and give parents access, because we now know that there are thousands, if not more, if not tens of thousands of cases where children are being discriminated against based on vaccine status in schools across the state of California. If, if all of a sudden you're seeing thousands of lawsuits being filed across the state, so now you're inundating right the, 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 the legal system with discrimination lawsuits, 
Well, who has to defend those lawsuits? Because we, we're talking about not only suing the school, but suing the administrative staff, suing the school boards, and suing the teachers who are engaging in this discriminatory behavior. So who defends that, right? The teachers' unions. And so there's so much of a, of a ripple effect. And that's just one example of a multitude of campaigns, um, whether it's from a, from a campaign of just a, of targeting an individual uh, or an entity or a campaign that is rooted very much in legal strategy. Yeah. Um, what you said about being all over the place. I believe I have talked about trick-or-treating, the Revolutionary <laughs> War, and Tyrannosaurus Rexes before we even hit the 20-minute mark. So just you're not, you're not rambling. That's how my mind seems at all time. When the, the wires and the strings and the and pulling this together and this together. And well, I had on Mike Collins yesterday who's running for Congress out of Georgia and he was a former trucker, Dr. Hawkinson, Dr. <laughs> Alexander. They're both up in Ottawa. Got to get them together. Right. You, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's insane. It's, it's a rush. What you were saying earlier about uh, Prisa, about yeah. treating it like we're in a courtroom. I think that's the only way to go. And I, and I do love it because years ago, I mean, maybe like five, six years ago, you know, on like April 1st, you'd always see, right. Like a satirical news article, like Tesla unleashes a, whatever, an electric scooter. And, and you look at it and you go, Oh wait, what day is it? It's April 1st. And there's always been this kind of like <laughs> meme going on on like Reddit. That was like, wouldn't it be amazing if we treated every day like April 1st and looked at news articles critically. And it's like, yeah, but that'll never happen yet. Now here we are in February, 2022, but it makes me even think of like variants, like mass vaccination or even just use overuse of antibiotics in hospitals. You drive the virus or the bacteria to survive that thing. So when you're always being hit with misinformation, fake news, fact check, it drives you to have to have an airtight argument. Dr. McCullough invited me uh, down to Austin on New Year's Eve to watch him on uh, Alex Jones. And it was a crazy experience. But I remember I was sitting with him at a table like beforehand and he was, you know, I'm talking like I am now. And, you know, he kind of like, shut up. And he's going through all these papers with a highlighter. And I remember he looked at me like halfway through and he goes, I can't slip up once or all the credibility is gone. And at first I was like, that's a real, that's a real burden. But now I look at it as they're kind of backing themselves into a corner. Because as we sort of lift the normal to be, we're treating everything like April 1st, always treating it like we're in a courtroom, like Parisa said, well, now the establishment's going to have to do that as the public starts to get accustomed to, where's this from, who wrote it, and then you find, well, it's from the CDC or it's from the WHO or, you know, here's the publication in 1988 or whatever. They're not going to be able to fight back against that because very soon it's going to be like, how do you dispute this misinformation? And you will see it because uh, Rogan said he'd have on Fauci, but Fauci will never respond. Lex Friedman said Fauci said he'd come on his show, but at a maximum of 15 minutes. And Lex said, I want to do three hours. And he said, no, they're backing themselves into a corner. So in my mind, keep treating it like we're in a courtroom and keep providing exactly. these resources to other people. <clears throat> Prisa, your yeah. thoughts on that? Um, my phone battery for some reason is about to die. No, you're fine. Can we, can we edit right here and let me go grab my charger and I'm going to answer that? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, or, yeah, or, yeah, we can keep going. Lauren, I'm I can so keep sorry. No, no, I mean, it, it I want matter. Bruce to answer it, but I'll, but I'll add yeah, to what yeah. you're saying about how it's, it's so important for us. Uh, the, like Parisa said, we committed early on to literally using the CDC data, yeah. um, to cite. And so when people say to me, oh my God, there's 
thousands of children that have died, I say, no, go to the CDC, which interestingly enough, we now know by the admission of the CDC director, Rochelle, Rochelle Walensky, that 40% of deaths that you're seeing represented in their data were actually not attributed specifically to COVID. Right. So you got to take those numbers and take 40 percent off of them anyway. But we constantly cite the CDC data that way. Um, we don't have someone come back and question. Where did you get these numbers? That's why it was really important before we got on uh, the call with you today. The first thing I said was we've got to have the current data because I haven't looked up the current CDC data. I think I looked it up about um two months ago. And so I wanted to make sure that when we're talking to you, that that number of 1,022 deaths under the age of 18 is strictly off of their website. Yeah. Um, it's, it's critically important. So no, there's also some beautiful, like art of war movement yeah. in there, right? Where are right. your sources? CDC. Right. Do you trust the CDC? If the answer is no, well, then that's good. Maybe we can start getting to the truth. If the answer is yes, well, then you believe my argument. So you start right. you start using their words. I didn't say this. You said this. Right. I didn't say this. You said this. Right. It's I wish I wish we could get to a point, though, where we're able to engage in that type of dialogue. Um, to your point, you you know, all these people have asked uh, for debates. We've said Steve Kirsch threw out there that, um, you know, he would pay. I think it was something like a million dollars to have Dr. Fauci debate him. We would, we would love to get to a point where we can actually have the conversation. And I find that more often it's, it's almost this hysterical response that you get from people when, you know, they say, oh my gosh, you have to get vaccinated. People are dying. And you try to engage and just, and say, hey, let's, let's break that down. Let's dig into that. Let's, let's explore why you think that. And it's a visceral, hysterical reaction. And they literally run away from you. So it'd be great to get to the point where we could actually start having those conversations. I think we are getting there. It's very yeah. slow. It's frustratingly slow. Yeah. But I yeah. mean, you're getting to a point where even on Reddit, the most insane pro-state, pro-Pfizer is God website in the world, yeah. even they're going at like, can someone just tell me what the misinformation is that Rogan said? And it's always like, get a load of this guy. And it's like, can you just tell me? And it's like, Nazi. It's like, just link me. Just could right. you just link me? And it yeah. doesn't matter. So we are slowly approaching that. But Priest is back with a charger yes. phone. So we'll let you have it. <laughs> um, you know, one comment I'd make about that is even Senator Johnson at his last hearing did make the request for people with opposing views to be there. And they they flat refused. Um, and so and you you stated that it was, you know, them being backed into a corner and them being the opposition. Um, I feel like, you know, it's beyond that, right? Their entire narrative is falling apart. And um, maybe because I'm, I'm an attorney and this is my perspective and every conversation I ever have, you know, you always back it up with, with evidence or, or, or points. I hope that what comes of this is that everyone, every lay person throughout the world starts expecting this, especially from their governments. And I wish that this is what happened on the other side from the beginning, that when they were presented with evidence, evidence that COVID is here and it's deadly. And there's this, you know, death ticker on CNN. 
I wish that people had that mechanism for critical thinking way back then to have asked, where's the evidence? And let me look at that evidence and let me ask you critical questions. For instance, are they actually dying of COVID or with COVID? What is the mechanism that you're using to test them for COVID? A PCR test? What is that? Are you using it in the right way? Um, instead, when people that did ask those critical questions, um, and unfortunately we weren't in the majority in the beginning, they were they were banned and and you know they were called conspiracy theorists. And you know we can go down until probably tomorrow and talk about all the conspiracy theories that ended up being true today, right? Um, but I I wish that 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 was the case from the beginning. And what I hope will happen at the end of the day is never again will we allow ourselves to be put in this position. Never again will we allow our government or anyone to come at us with vital information that is life-changing and bearing of great uh, inconvenience at, at the very least on our daily lives and that of our children without asking for verifiable evidence. Right. And also, whenever we're talking about um, anything that has to do with disease or medical science, why did everyone forget that there's no such thing as scientific fact? Everything is a theory. And I have a science background. That's the first thing that we learned in class. Everything is a theory. And the reason, again, like what we talked about in the beginning, is, is so that it can be questioned. I think it was Stephen Hawking's theory regarding the black hole that was in play for a very, very long time, years, and was then just recently debunked. Nobody gets mad because that's how science evolved. Why was it such a big deal that people were questioning what the government, the CDC, the FDA was purporting to us on the news, on mainstream media, about a medical science issue, and we weren't allowed to ask questions. So I'm hoping that's where that's where we end up with, with the average person, someone who is, you know, convinced now of the very importance of them asking questions, convinced that critical thinking is incredibly important, regardless of your race, your creed, your political preference. Um, and, and, requesting, requiring from their government, especially to provide evidence before they ever, ever try to impede on their fundamental rights again. Um, and I think we might have a different world going forward. And it's an interesting phenomenon, like, like Parisa is saying about, you know, hoping that, that people are, why are we so afraid to question the government? But what I find to be an interesting phenomenon is that from the very beginning, a lot of the government officials, namely Dr. Fauci, was so inconsistent. I mean, one day he'd come out and have a press conference, and it would be all about you have to have a mask on. And then the next week, he would say there's no efficacy in the masks. And so what's amazing to me is that people, when I'm, when I'm confronted with someone who has inconsistent data or inconsistent talk, talking points, and um, they seem to be all over the board, that's an automatic red flag for me, that I have to start questioning what's going on. Do they really understand what they're talking about? What are their motives? And it, it seems to me, it's just an interesting phenomenon that people aren't as a general, you know, general consensus saying, why are we having such inconsistent messaging coming from the government? <clears throat> I think back to what Priesta said earlier was ultimately 
you you kind of just have to insert the science and realize that it's not an, it's not an argument, right? You know, hey, blue is a better color, red is a better color, and we can sit here and just argue forever. But I mean, there's there's no objective reality. We can just say that's what it is, and this is what it isn't. But we'll never reach it. The beauty of science is science does not care if you're a Republican or a Democrat. It does not care if you're the Pope and you're burning astronomers at the stake. It doesn't matter. Bruno said that uh, that the stars are actual celestial bodies and they're not little spots in the sky. But they burned them alive. I've interviewed a guy that walked on the moon and he told me the moon is indeed there. So eventually the truth comes out. And so with this, what you can do is just lead them to the science and eventually it punches through. There's going to be some cognitive dissonance and not even cognitive dissonance. There's going to be a little bit of ego. No one likes to admit they were wrong. No one likes to go, oh shit, I know. It's, but there is that little moment. You got to Confirmation give them, bias. Yeah, you got to yeah. give them that little bit of buffer zone and you know, it's all right and don't, don't ridicule them. But as you lead them to the science, they will see it. I mean, Joseph Lister, uh, the, the guy who basically invented the, invented the antiseptic technique, uh, there's a great book called The Butchering Art by Lindsay Fitzharris. And I've interviewed her and she talks about his, the book is great. It's disgusting, but he's using, he's using like phenol and carboxylic acid in like the 1850s, 1860s. I mean, real kind of like Jules Verne era stuff, like, but people are starting to survive. And it's this weird thing, and he's not quite sure, is it because he puts the knife in the fluid, or is it because he puts the fluid in the wound? Sometimes he would spray it in the air to like get it out of the air. They didn't know what it was, but it was pretty noticeable because like 5% of people would survive surgeries, and he started doing this, and like 50, 60, 70% really wealthy people would start to like have him come to their house and they'd literally like remove all the stuff from the table, put down a mat and he would do like a, like a breast, uh, like remove like a breast uh, tumor and they would survive. And he was ridiculed and he was kicked out of all these prestigious hospitals. And if you just replaced carboxylic acid with ivermectin, it's the same exact story. It's insane. He came to the United States. He was invited to the United States where soldiers were dying during the Revolutionary War because they'd have a wound and they'd stuff it with dirt and then wonder why the guy dropped dead in three hours. He was still ridiculed. They would even say, you can come practice at our hospital because you're a very prestigious guy. You just can't do the whole carboxylic acid thing. Everyone knows that's not real. But it wasn't towards the end of his life that he started to become vindicated. And people start to realize that this was the only way through. And you may know this. I mean, I have Listerine mouthwash. Who do you think it's named after? So eventually the truth comes out. And there's a there's a purpose to my rambling right now. I've interviewed Dr. Keith Rose, who is special forces, um, was, was blown up by an IED in Iraq, came back. And now he's a physician, has a podcast, super handsome guy. I mean, you just want to hate him. You're like, dude, you can't do anything wrong. <laughs> but I remember him telling me, was that you have to realize sacrifice isn't always transactional. Sometimes mm-hmm. someone like Joseph Lister gets to go their whole life and then they get the vindication. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're burned at the stake and you don't get to see it. But if the truth is that important to you, whether it's respecting astronomy or whether it's pushing the science of surgery forward, if it's that important to you, and right now I would say it is with 800,000 Americans dead and not being able to use a generic early treatment or being forced to give our kids vaccines and now they're having inflamed hearts and they're dropping dead and everyone just thinks it's normal. If you think it's that important, as much as I'd love to see the day where we win, and I do think I will, there's also a very good chance that we won't 
but it doesn't matter because if you truly believe it's worth it, you will keep pushing that needle forward. So you want to be the Lister. You might be the Bruno. But to me, that is what's so important about what you guys are doing is history is on our side. Just keep pushing. You might get to say, I told you so. We might be burned at a stake. I don't think it will be that bad. It'll be somewhere in between. And I don't really know where I'm rambling now. Priest, I haven't let you talk in a minute. <laughs> well, you're, you know, I. this is why people are saying that the parents are going to win this. Yeah. You know, you mess with the wrong crowds. Why? Because our children, yeah. and we might not live to see it, but we know our children are here and our children's children and their children. And we love them even if they're not born. And so for us, um, of course, you know, we have a, a love for all children and we do this for all children, you know, especially Laura and I, we, we're maybe fortunate enough where we have other resources to, you know, get out of California like everyone else has, has uh, exited. Um, we do do this for all children. But at the end of the day, I mean, we're parents and there is no stronger force in the world than the love of a parent for their kid. And you're right. We might not be here, but they will. So we have to make sure come hell or high water that their world is safe, that their world is free. And, you know, speaking for myself, but I can, I can probably safely assume I'm speaking for millions of Americans and people around the world. Uh, there's nothing we wouldn't do for our children. I will die on this hill gladly. And, you know, we're all risking everything. We've risked our livelihoods where, you know, I'm waiting for the day, especially when I came up with the teacher union idea. I thought, oh, God, they're coming. I went and bought my first gun. <laughs> they're coming and they're going to find a way to take my my law degree and um, they're going to they're going to uh, defame me. But who cares? I don't care. Nothing is more important than keeping our kids safe and healthy. And after that, free. Yeah. So. Oh. Yeah, it's a no-brainer of a fight. We also don't really have an option. I mean, I can tell you, I'm I'm an American patriot. I love this country. And if you look at the last time in history something like this faced humanity, you had the United States of America that came in to, to help and to rectify the situation. We don't have anyone. There is no one that is going to come in and stop this if we can't stop it from within. And believe me, there are days when, you know, we're working 18, 20 hours a day. And there are times when I think it'd be nice to go back to the life, you know, th that I had. But then I realize there is no option. There is no, I'm not going to wake up tomorrow and just comply and get my daughter vaccinated. That, that's not going to happen. So, so we're in this fight for the long haul, um, whatever that looks like. I, uh, I have a lot of confidence and, and faith and the American patriots that are out there and the Amer you know, the people that believe in this country, believe in freedom. And I do have a lot of faith in them. And I do think that we will change the trajectory of what's happening in this country. But um, it's, it's definitely a fight that we're in. Yeah. No. And I just, Tommy, if you don't mind, I want to bring it back to one of the questions you had, which is, you know, what can people do? Um, Laura started touching on it. For instance, with the Align Act, if they were to go on our site right now, there is a pop-up where they can vote against a bill and we will flood the 
elected officials or whoever we are targeting with the Align Act with hundreds of thousands. I think right now we're over 200,000 emails in just a few days to some of the elected officials regarding the bills that are on the table in California. Um, That's really just a click of a few buttons. There is so much you can do. Um, You can, again, not comply. You know, when Ronald McDonald House did what they did and they kicked out that little four-year-old leukemia patient because his parents wouldn't get vaccinated, well, boycott McDonald's. Don't go there anymore. Like in LA, they have five-year-olds getting vax carded at McDonald's. We're never going to go. Or we don't go to Starbucks anymore. Now, Starbucks has recanted their vaccine mandate, but at one time they were firing employees because they weren't vaccinated. Don't go. Non-compliance is actually easier than you think in a lot of ways, and that does make a difference. You know, these these targeted emails or these uh, political campaigns that, that change policy are a lot easier than you think now with technology. There's a lot that people can do um, just, just from their living room to right. make a difference right now. And I think... Um, I think it's really important for people to do to know that because I think part of what happens is people feel so overwhelmed. And as you were saying, Tommy, they, they don't know that they can do anything. They don't know that they can make a difference, um, but they can. And it's organizations like ours that are that are striving to make it easy for them. Um, and then I just want to touch on one more thing. You know, Laura was talking about these discrimination cases Um We're having children that are being discriminated against across the country, but in California, egregious conduct by teachers, principals, school boards, where they are segregating children that are not vaccinated. They are not allowing them to participate in school activities for which there are prizes, cash prizes. They're not allowing them to um, participate in sports. Many, many different instances of discrimination and harassment because of vaccine status. And so we are templating these lawsuits so that it's easy for lawyers and parents to download them off of our site and start filing them um, across the state. And again, that's just one example. And there are a lot of organizations like ours that are doing these things to make it easy for the average person who's sitting in their living room right now going, oh my God, I know, I feel like I need to do something, but what? You can literally click a few buttons and have your what right in the palm of your hands. And these are things that make a huge, huge impact um, and, and, you know, a call to it because we really need you right now. We need as many parents and people and teachers and medical professionals as possible to help us. And even if even if you're vaccinated, it doesn't matter. There are other issues at play here, like your rights, like your informed consent. And this is the time to stand up. And it's kind of never been easier. So hopefully... And to Parisa's point, she has a saying that I love. She always says, you've got to be willing to get a little uncomfortable for a little while to maintain your freedoms. And what she means by that is, you know, this concept of, I'm just going to get the vaccine because I need to travel, or I'm just going to get my kid vaccinated because they really, they have this big sporting event coming up. And these are decisions that the government is putting you in, in the position of having to make they can have tremendously negative impact impact on your child's life forever. You know, that that, uh, video that Dr. Malone, it was a four-minute video that he put out and he implored parents to stop and to think about that. Do you want to, you know, you're going to, if you get your child vaccinated, that is a decision that you can never take back. And so we really, really want to make sure 
that you're not just going along to get along. That's probably the biggest thing that we can uh, implore parents to do right now is to be willing to get uncomfortable, to be willing to, if you have to, remove your child from school. Be willing, uh, if you have to, to walk out of a restaurant. Be willing to not go on that vacation. Uh, to, and to Parisa's last point, this is, has more to do about our freedom than it has to do with the vaccines. If this country has gotten to the point where they can forcibly take your child and inject them with an experimental vaccine that has zero benefit to the child, only risk, provides no public health and safety measures. If we're at a point in this country where they can do that, we have lost everything. And I fear what's on the horizon. Yeah, it's um, like you said, <clears throat> America has always been the thing you can run to, right? Leo Szilard and Albert Einstein, they came here from Germany because they didn't like what was going on. And, you know, mm-hmm. they came and implored uh, FDR to build the A-bomb. I've interviewed Dr. Ken Alabek. Dr. Alabek uh, grew up in the Soviet Union, wanted to be a physician. was so smart that they were like, hey, you're going to come work on bioweapons. And he was forced to help them uh, design bioweapons that they put on the nose cones of cruise missiles. He defected mm-hmm. to the United States in 1992. There's no, there's nowhere for us to defect to. There's mm-hmm. nowhere. You, there's really no choice. You know, we don't even have to hype you up to convince you to fight. There is, our back isn't against the wall. It's against the cliff. Where are you going to go? So it's, if anything, we're trying to argue and say why you should fight. But I mean, dude, either way, we're going over the cliff if we don't do this. So it's, there's really not much of an argument. You know, what flavor water do you want? Water or water? It's dude, it's, there is nothing more. Um, my final two thoughts is one, you guys should definitely, I don't know if this is already a thing, but I feel like the, the, the silver lining to all of this is maybe there could be something like Miranda rights, but for, you know, any medical procedure and not just, I know you sign a bunch of stuff, not that, but I mean, there was a time when there wasn't Miranda rights and an idiot like me, if I was arrested, I'd probably just be talking my head off, not knowing that I have the right to remain <laughs> silent, but there's a purpose for it, right? Safety, safety, safety codes are written in blood. There should be something like a Miranda rights, but for medical procedures we already like have this. That was, yeah, I, I was okay. just going to say, right. you well, think about it. We, we already have. Well, let me let me just let me just tell you from the legal perspective. Right. We already have that. It's called informed consent. Right. We have we have bioethic laws. We have a we have a ton of laws actually in our federal regulation codes um, that have codified exactly what you're saying. And again, it boils down to informed consent. So you do have that, but they've been thrown right. out the window with COVID. Well, so, and you're... <sighs> sorry, go ahead, Parisa. I'm, I'm just saying we're you know we're seeing the lawsuits now um, throughout the nation where and including some of the lawsuits that I've been involved in where we talk about the lack of informed consent and how that violates you know constitutional laws on the state and federal level. Um, so you do have that, and it's crazy that um, 
anyone has to even mention that as if it just disappeared or it never even existed. It's been here the whole time. And another thing is the Nuremberg Code. Um, even though it's not entirely codified into our laws, it is still part of the international law that we must adhere to. And we're just not. And it's as simple as that. They have just decided not to do it. And guess what? We have just decided to let them not do it. And at the end of the day, um, you know, when you're saying our back is to the cliff, you're right. Where are we going to go? You know, two things. One, we have to be willing to recognize that we let this happen. And I won't say every person, but I'm definitely guilty of it. Um, we let this happen. We let them get us get to this point. I think it's Dr. Peterson who talks about encroachment yeah. and how you know the opposition slowly encro- encroaches on you and they wait for you to protest, you protest. And when you back down, you know, they go a little bit more. That's exactly what happens since day one. And when we talk about the fact that we have no one to save us, You know, I always like to bring this example up because people get so offended if you analogize what's happening now to the Holocaust. And I mean no disrespect, but Vera Sharov is a living Holocaust survivor. She was in the concentration camps. So this is not someone who knew someone that was in the Holocaust or had a family member. This is the person themselves. And she is analogizing this situation to the Holocaust. And she's furious. And she's saying things like, they're not even being creative. They being the governments, they're not even being creative. They're literally using the same propaganda, the same tactics, the same verbiage, diseased, unclean, and they're segregating the population. And no one's even recognizing the signs of it. But the worst thing is, as she put it, When the Holocaust was happening, they had allies. They had heroes to come in and save them. We don't have anybody. It's us because it's the entire world against us. And so, yeah, we do need people to realize that it is up to us. But the great thing is that there are a lot of us. And back to one of your prior points, you know, they try to make themselves look big. They also try to make us look really small. They try to make us feel alone. They try to make us look like we don't have allies within, you know, our own walls. And we do. We, we're the millions. And they don't want anyone to know that. That's why they keep censoring us. That's why they keep banning us. But, you know, don't fall for it. Trust that there are millions of us. And, and it will be us. It will be we, the people, that will win this fight. Because they cannot do anything without us. No matter how many laws, no matter how many coercion tactics, no matter how many censorship tactics, they cannot move anything in this country without us. And right now, the Canadian truckers are a great example of that. So hell yeah, I'll get off my soapbox now. Yeah, that, was, that, was, that was beautiful, Laura. Oh no, I'm sorry. I'm 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 I, sorry. I cut you off. That's okay. No, I was just going to say, you know, we you, your question about some type of Miranda rights, similar um, in the medical space, and you know, we to Parisa's point, not only do we have it um, literally in writing and through informed consent, but we also have it and should be having it in terms of the ethical moral obligation that medical practitioners have to their patients. And I don't know where that's gone, uh, but every practitioner should be sitting down with their patients, understanding what their medical profile is, understanding what the risks. And you know, that comment or, or, or that philosophy in medicine of do no, first do no further harm. Uh, 
I don't know where that went, but it does not seem that that's being applied today with regard to these vaccines, especially as it relates to the pediatric community. You know, we, uh, Parisa and I had the, the, I guess, fortunate or unfortunate, depending on how you look at it, opportunity to sit in on a, um, it was a video conference that was happening for a gentleman, I think his name is Dr. Eric Ball out of Chalk Hospital here in Orange County, California. And it was put on um, to talk to pediatricians and how to address parents that are hesitant to get their children vaccinated. And it was a lot of the title. And it yes. wasn't just pediatricians, it yeah. was anyone to convince them to get the vaccine for the right. pediatric community. But what was happening was you talk about total um, dissolving of informed consent and ethical obligations. This doctor was telling other doctors that if parents came to them and A, their child had already had um, myocarditis, that he encouraged them to get the vaccine, which we now know is counterindicated and in fact can result in severe injury, if not death, most likely death in those types of scenarios. The other thing that he said was, you know, I, I would really not encourage parents to, or excuse me, pediatricians to explain the really, quote, scary side effects of the vaccine. I mean, I would explain things like, um, you know, tell them that once they get the injection that their arm could be sore for a few days. It was horrifying listening to a medical practitioner encouraging other medical practitioners to engage in withholding vital information and engaging in informed consent for their patients. And here Laura and I are in the chat, quick typing as fast as we can. What are you talking yeah. about? What about your Hippocratic Oath? <laughs> what? You're, you're recommending the vaccine that causes myocarditis to, to children with cardio issues? Oh my God. And then, you know, they kicked us out. <laughs> Naturally. Well, you, you guys read my mind because that was the final point I wanted to bring up was, I mean, stranger danger, right? If a, if a guy rolls up in a white van and is offering you treats to do something that you maybe normally wouldn't want to do, and hey, you don't need your parents' consent, well, now it's not a creepy guy. It's Well, it is. It's Fauci. And it's not a white van. It's a white coat. And it's not maybe candy and puppies. It's money and the ability to travel. Hey, man, this is stranger well. danger. They well, actually why are you literally going so hard, Tommy. What? Well, it is, and they literally, yeah. they literally have. I, have, I know so candy. You know. I, I realized that as I said it, candy and puppies. Well, no, no they literally that. have vaccine oh. vans yes. that's being deployed in counties throughout California. They, they have an actual vaccine van that pulls up, and they line the kids up, and this is how children. There are actual cases right now that are being litigated because children have been vaccinated without their parents' consent. In return for pizza, mm -hmm. donuts. There yeah. is an actual documented, there is a documented contract with a donut company and food companies from the schools in LAUSD to come along with these vaccine vans for which, by the way, also very well documented, hundreds of millions are being given to the schools in the state of California for these vaccine right. initiatives. Which is so they are they are actually paying vaccine vans as well as coercive 
opportunities within donut companies and pizza companies and ice cream companies to ride along with them and offer the children as young as 12 this, this, you know, this, this bribe in return for the vaccine, which by the way, is a clear violation of the law, um, multiple laws in this country and in our state, um, not to mention the Nuremberg Code. I mean, it's disgusting. And to Laura's point, there there are parents that are actively suing on these grounds. So this is not hearsay or rhetoric. These are factual cases that are occurring in our state. It's disgusting. Well, and that was the impetus for us putting up a um, non-consent form on our website because we had parents coming to us in, in literal fear to send whether or not they should even send their children to school because they were afraid that if they send their kids to school that they could somehow get vaccinated. And so we actually, Parisa actually created a parent non-consent form, which we posted on our website and encouraged parents to execute that document, send it to their office, and then actually print out a copy and keep it on their child, like put it in their backpack. Um, and, you know, parents are, it's so sad to say, but parents are actually going through conversations with their young children about exit strategies. So what do you do if you're at school and someone lines you up and they tell you that you're going to get vaccinated? How do you get out of that situation when you're an elementary school student? I mean, for the, for the kids that are in high school, it's a different conversation. They're older, they're more aware, more capable. Although right now in California, Senator Pan is trying to reduce the age of consent to 12 years old. And the reason that he's doing that is because he knows that there is a tactic right now that's going on in schools. There's so much peer pressure, right? Kids that are teenagers, they, look, there's been so many psychological studies that have been done that this the adolescent group is the number one group across all demographics and age groups that are more likely to give in to peer pressure. Whether they agree with it or not, they just want to go along with their with what their peer group is doing. So when you have campaigns that are directed specifically at teenagers, and it's like the cool thing to do, um, how, how does a teenager go against that, right? Psychologically, they just want to go. They're not even teenagers. They're 12. Well, 12 years old. So that's why they dropped the age of consent to 12, so that, um, that these kids can just go out and get the vaccine. And of course, th think about um, the unethical, disgusting um, display of having a 12-year-old just go out and engage in a medical decision like that. Their, their brain is developing. They have no way that they can sift through the data to understand the ramifications that they're engaging in should they choose to go out and get vaccinated, right? They have no, it's, it's criminal what's happening. You know, the Old Testament God kind of makes sense now. When you think about everything that you just said, that's, I was making a joke, but I mean, that's. Yeah, dude. it reads like genocide almost. If I, if I didn't know better and um, I don't want to go too far down a rabbit hole or a conspiracy theory, but it, it, it almost reads like a man, like a manifesto for genocide. That's, uh, that's what exactly they're doing what in particular, it's bad enough to, to say to someone, look, you can't go to work. You can't engage in gainful employment and support yourself and your family. That's criminal activity. I mean, and that that's a that's a level of um, disgust and government overreach. But when you start distilling it down to 
what they're doing to these children and the targeted campaigns, how they're going. I mean, when you have Big Bird talking to, to children as young as three, four, year, five years old about why they should be getting vaccinated, almost like you're communicating with them um, and, you, and going around the parents. Um, we have on our website um, an interview that was done with a child psycho- psychiatrist, and he talks about um, what happens to the developing brain of a, of a young child when they're um, being backed into a corner and they're, they're inundated with all kinds of information about why they should get vaccinated and the position that that puts the parents in and how that breaks down the trust in the nuclear family when you're doing this um, type of psychological warfare uh, to children. Uh, I was trying to close this on a funny note, but <laughs> sorry. I mean, no, no, it's I uh, know I, I needed to hear. But it does make you wonder, why are they doing all of it? It doesn't seem like a normal... Why are they trying so hard? Yeah. I can go look, down if, rabbit holes, but I don't want to force you guys down rabbit holes. Look, if I'll tell you what, and I know you've heard this analogy before, but I think it's worth repeating. If we had a disease that was killing many, many children, and there was a solution for it. There was a vaccine that was effective, right? You would, I think parents would be fighting to line up to get their kids vaccinated. Why are we coercing people into vaccinating their children, right? What is the point in that? There is no harm. This, this virus, we are so fortunate that this virus does not impact the pediatric community, right? But we know that the vaccines have you know, we, I think we started this journey saying that they, that they had some potential. I think we now know that this vaccine has real and probably more consistent um, vaccine injury and mortality than obviously we're being, we're being led to, to know at this point. But even if you just take the CDC data and you contrast that against the VAERS data and the pediatric population, you have to sit back and question why in the world are they targeting these children? like this i hope i'm not te- uh, keeping you guys because i can keep talking no right. no we're happy to do it can, can i, I, can, I for a can i give you guys the wheel because i gotta use the restroom because i've drank three yeah. of these all right well sure. welcome, welcome to the well yeah welcome to the Prisa and laura podcast i'll be right back <laughs> sorry Buddy, okay i'm gonna interview you now Parisa. i haven't even mentioned that i'm a democrat yet oh my gosh so so, Parisa, as the resident Democrat, how do you feel that all of the Democrats across this country, because we talk about the and fact some that some Republicans and some Republicans, but we talk about the fact that this really should not be and, 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 and is not a political issue. So no, as the resident when, when Democrat, Tommy what are you talking about? When Tommy was talking about, you know, presenting evidence like you're in a courtroom and how everyone should do that. And, and yes, they should. And I said, you know, everyone should also think like they are taking in evidence as if they're in a courtroom and critically think. I mean, that's how we got here to begin with. Right. Um, it never entered my mind what my political preference was ever. It was, as Tommy stated, clearly a medical science issue and nothing else. So when you're looking at what happened all the way back in 2020, and you knew that you were facing a a flu-like virus, and you knew throughout medical history that you have not been able to 
vaccinate a flu-like virus. When they started talking about vaccine, you know, my spidey senses go up, obviously. And then I start asking critical questions like, well, what do you need a vaccine? And when for a vaccine? Oh, 18 months? No, a year? Absolutely not. Because, you know, again, scientific study requires whether you're talking um, medical science or, you know, astrophysics, scientific study requires time. It's the most right. important element in any study. And you're robbing us of that. And you're talking right. about doing so for a study that involves injecting people with a drug. It was asinine to me. Again, never did it come into my mind what my political preference was. And yes, I'm a lifelong Democrat. Yes, I'm a registered Democrat. Um, but it, it wasn't even part of the conversation because it was absolutely relevant and it should remain irrelevant to this day. Um, you know, even what your race is or what your religion is, your creed, it makes no difference. There's only one question. Is this scientific, scientifically logical? And it's right. not. It's amazing Period. to me, right, how they've really created this such a like red versus blue, you know, dare I say, Trump well, lovers versus... That. Because <laughs> right? they made me take the red pill and now I'm completely on the other side. Thank you so much for making yes. it political because now I'm going to have to change my registration. Right. Well, <laughs> don't, you know, Tommy, we... we because uh, unfortunately first, it is predominant. Right. When I first met Parisa, I said, don't worry, we're going to convert you. So we've, we've been successful at that. Um, although I think, I, I don't think she needed much uh, coaxing from me. I think it was just looking at what's going on. But I mean, it is it is primarily, you know, the Democrats that are pushing this agenda. Um, and what's and it's unfortunate. What's amazing to me, too, you know, just kind of going back to um, talking about what's happening with these kids. It's so amazing, the propaganda um, and the agenda that's being pushed in the classrooms. Uh, my at my daughter's school, unfortunately, um, uh, one of the baseball coaches passed away. And um, one of the history teachers brought the kids into her classroom and openly stated, and we have multiple witnesses to this account, that had the children done a better job wearing masks, that the, the baseball coach might, might still be alive. I mean, can you imagine the Ooh. psychological warfare that they're um, engaging in with these, with these children? It's not to mention that that there's knowledge within the school that that particular uh, teacher was vaccinated and boosted, if I'm not mistaken. That is, and nobody made mention of that. Correct, and that he had just recently gotten his booster before he had. Um, was it a heart attack? Um, I'm actually. Well, they said it was COVID, so I still need to. Oh. Think. They said he died of COVID, so um, I think there's still a lot of information that probably needs to be uh, uncovered with that particular incident. But the, but the thing that I found the most disturbing was, can you imagine bringing a group of, of teenagers in and basically making them feel as though they could potentially be responsible for the death of one of their, one of their staff members? It, it's child that's, abuse. That's nothing compared to the other things they've done. Oh, sure. Tommy's back. I am. Yes. It's a, uh... 
it's and don't worry that happens every episode where i, I just run away for the restroom and somebody i have no idea <laughs> oh good i don't feel so bad about uh my phone running out of battery oh no oh, oh dude this is this is people are always like you know is everything fine i'm like i'm wearing pajama pants like this is not this is <laughs> not the too. yeah the, I, I love i love your background yeah. by the way Thank i, you, I yeah. feel like i should have been with I've my slippers on yeah oh yeah no it's uh yeah, I've got a huge flag on. Oh, are we are we are we showing off um, our feetwear? I'm wearing um, I'm wearing kitty cat. Yeah, oh, gosh. Yeah, you guys are way too comfortable. I, I actually I left the house this morning for yeah. the first time. No, you no, you gotta dude, no. My no, it's it's very relaxed. That's why I try to keep it this way. Um, <laughs> please yeah. don't please edit that part out. You, you, no, all staying in. It's all you gotta have the raw truth. No no censorship. For all right, what, all right. For, Go ahead. For, included. For so you you guys kind of brought it up earlier, and obviously, so I I'm speaking for myself, and I don't want to make it sound like you guys are going down a rabbit hole because I'll go down all of them. I don't care. Yeah. But it does seem odd. Like I mean, we can point to what's Occam's razor say, right? It says follow the money. <laughs> you know why? What did the Gulf of Tonkin? You know, there's a lot of things that say that that was kind of just used as justification to go to war. You can kind of find the culprits, right? Lockheed, Bell, they made a bunch of money on the war. All right, evil, makes sense. You know, why did we go to Iraq? Why are we so hell-bent on Saddam? Well, the vice president at the time was the former CEO of Halliburton who won the most war contracts. Yeah. After. Okay, you can, you know, how come no bankers were prosecuted after the 2008 financial crisis? Well, those same bankers, the ones at Citigroup, helped appoint yeah. Obama's <laughs> office. It's evil, but it's evil. <laughs> it's like evil you understand, right? You go, it, it, you well. just... I mean, yeah, you, you hope it's just money, right? Well, I mean, look at what was it? The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. I was just listening to this. Um, were kicked out of India in 2018 yeah. because of the um, polio vaccine, the oral polio vaccine, and the fact that there was a half a million children that were paralyzed as a result of this vaccine. And they there there's, I think, a lot of evidence that they were well aware, but they continued to deploy this this vaccine because it was cheaper into that population it's astonishing and, and let's it's not astonishing forget, it's criminal let's not forget you know bill gates on video footage talking about how he and melinda were you know on this quest to vaccinate as many people and children as possible to save lives but then oh they realized if they do that there's going to be a depletion in world resources so is it really a good idea to save that many lives so, I mean, I would hear, I don't know if you were back yet, Tommy, but I'm a, I'm a Democrat, mm-hmm. ashamedly so. We don't, we don't hold it against her. So, <laughs> you know, when I, when I started getting into all this and I would hear these conspiracy theories um, about depopulation and, and how evil Bill Gates is and how all of these, you know, all of these corporations and NPOs and NGOs and the government are, are entangled, heavily entangled. And now having seen the documentation, the actual documentation, documentation to that effect, you talk about evidence and it is really important to me and I have seen it. Um, you know, it, it starts becoming undeniable and you start saying, I wish it was just about money. I wish it was just a big money grab and that that was their motive. I don't know what their motive is, but 
It's, it's something well beyond that, in my opinion, and it's quite sinister. And I wonder, you know, is it true? I always say Stan Lee, Stan Lee's a friggin' genius. If you look at all of the Marvel movies and the comics, we collect the comics here at my house. Um, if you look at them, and these, some of these were all the way back, you know, from the 60s, right? And you look at Thanos. Yeah. And you look at Endgame. And what does Thanos say? <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, snap yeah. my finger. And what? And something else he said. Perfectly this is really balanced interesting, but I'll get to it. Should be. You all. He he said. He said the reason he wanted to eliminate fifty percent of the population of the universe was for their own good, okay. because human beings and 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 you know beings from all around the universe, because it's Marvel, um, are depleting resources, and that is going to cause more chaos. And in order to preserve lives and peace, he needed to instead eliminate fifty percent of the population to preserve the use of. Resources. So with the snap of his finger, he does this. But something else he says in the movie and in the comics, he says, I am inevitable. Yeah. I am inevitable. And this is the craziest thing because we were watching interviews. I, Laura, we were on a plane somewhere and some mm-hmm. politician was saying it and some other world ah. leader was literally using the words, it is inevitable. Yeah. Right. And I thought, Oh my God, if you just watch these movies or read these comics, I mean, they really foretell the future and the state of mind of potentially the powers that be that are driving all of this, you know, madness. But at the end of the day, you know, I go back and say, they cannot do anything without us and us being the everyday person. They cannot. We are their worker bees. We are the the ones that make their world turn. And if we stand up and we recognize these signs, it doesn't even matter why, right? It doesn't matter. Is it depopulation? Is it world control? Is it money? Who cares? If you know that they're doing something that is against your will and against your best interest, and especially that of your kids, stand up. Because they cannot move forward without us as pegs in their game. Right. If every, and I don't even know that it would take, like, it doesn't, it's not even going to take the entire population of the United States to stand up. If we had people that are aligned in the way that we are thinking right now, in the sense that there are known dangers from these vaccines, they really don't want to get their kids vaccinated. They really don't want their kids wearing masks. They don't want to wear masks. They don't want to have any more of the lockdowns. If if those people who are having those thoughts right now just said, no, we're not going to do this anymore. We're not going to endure lockdowns. We're not going to mask ourselves or our children. We're not going to vaccinate our children. If they decide to get vaccinated, although um, I believe that there are still extremely known risks, even in the adult population, if they would all stop doing that, this would be game over. We wouldn't even be having this conversation. It, it's not like it takes, you know, 90% of the population to affect a change. Yeah. So we're talking about people that are having these thoughts that are, that are starting to question what's going on. If, if those people, if that segment of the population would stop engaging in this, we would not have be having this conversation because it would be over. We keep, we keep cutting you off, but... I'm just going to throw this in there. I'm a bankruptcy attorney, and we all know it only takes 15% of any business to impact it significantly. And it takes 20 to 25% to bankrupt it. America is a business. 
And it would only take 20, 25% of us to stand up and say, no more. We're not going to feed your corporations. We're not going to feed your your political pockets. No more. Right. Well, as an example, we we have hopefully we'll have. <laughs> let's let Tommy. Sorry. No, 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 no. I, no, I was going to touch on all y'all's points. You said about Marvel. Uh, what's the line from uh, with the gunships? And it's gunships to kill potential terrorists. And it's but you're going to kill millions, millions to save billions. Watchmen when they let the nukes go off, and we have to tell everyone, no, that would cause more death. So it's good that millions die. Interstellar when they lie so the humans will get off the planet. What does he call it? The unforgivable sin, but it saves humanity. There is a there is very there's a very real prepping of this is for this is for everyone. Um, what you said about uh. The cogs and the wheels, we are the pegs and the wheels, regardless of what it is that they are doing. We are, Dr. Nass and I talked about that on our, the first episode she and I did, and she she's like me. She's just as crazy as me, because I was like, well, we are the cogs <laughs> and the machines, and she goes, until, of course, the robots, and I was like, thank you, because that's, up until <laughs> up until now, they have always needed us. We are the cogs and the machines. We're reaching a breaking point, a technological bre- runaway point of autonomy, of AI, of AI human hybrids with uh, fighter jets, the new uh, the new B-21 Raider, which is replacing the B-2 Spirit. It's going to be half human, and then if they want, half AI. Same with the PCA, which is going to replace the F-22 Raptors called the Penetrating Counter Air. Half human, and if they want, AI. They're slowly moving into that direction. It's going, you have to start wondering, <clears throat> did they need us? to get to this point. I don't know. Well, you know, Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, and, and Stephen Hawking all said the greatest threat to humanity is AI. So I would tend to think you're right. And that is something we should think about and act accordingly. Well, and my, my background in the corporate environment was very heavy in data. And I used to uh, speak on panels about AI and machine learning and the ethics behind it. And, um, I've always said, I think that it is a very slippery slope. You have to be extremely careful when using that type of technology. Yeah. I mean, we always think it was good. We always think it's going to be 1984, but it's often <laughs> it's brave new world, right? It's not the boot. It's, it's the yes. Soma and the, the orgies and the, no one has to work. It's not the fear. <laughs> so we look at it. How would the end of man come about? What's our image? Our image is what? Terminator, it, you know, they're coming to fight us. What's more likely? Probably a van with puppies and vaccines. It's the more genius yeah. move. And what you guys said about 15% and 25%, to me, I again, their propaganda wouldn't be necessary if the situation was hopeless. I look right. at that as a win. When I, see, when I see the vast majority of people acting like sheep and just going along, and I go, oh, shit, well, now the evil ones are controlling and there's 90% of them. Well, that actually gives me hope. Because if 90% of people are just mindless sheep, then there's actually only 10% of people fighting, which means it's not 95 versus 5. It's 5 versus 5. You just got to take over the sheep. Yeah. You just got to turn them in your direction. It's a, it's a, it's a seesaw. You, just, you don't got to move the whole thing. You just got to get right across the fulcrum, and then it's game over. But that, that brings me up to the terrifying prospect of you know, a money grab – a money grab is a you know updating the iPhone. A money grab is what we're seeing in Ukraine, right? Hey, we just got out of out of Iraq. You know, the military industrial complex is hungry. That's a money grab. Oh wait, financial crisis. That's a money grab. What's going on right now 
at first, to me, I genuinely thought it was a money grab. There's way too much effort. Mm-hmm. It's diminishing returns. What are they going after now? And to me, I don't know what that is. Is it depopulation? Is it sterilization? Is it the introduction of a digital ID so you can control the movement of people, which is every dictator's wet dream? I don't know. But man, it doesn't seem like it's money. And that's no. that's kind of my concern is... It feels very evil, right? It feels well, very evil. Yeah. As a financial expert, I can, I can tell you, um, I should say a pseudo-financial expert, um, you know, when you look at the way economies work, because, you know, this was my, my business, right. And I was heavy into the entire mortgage collapse and the, and the, uh, economic fallout in 2006 to 2012. Um, you look at how money is getting spent, right. And they are spending hundreds of mil. There's, they're spending billions in California alone, on this VAX initiative. Mm-hmm. And then that's that's beyond j- the, the stimulus checks. That's beyond the money that they're giving to the pharmaceutical companies for the vaccines. I'm talking about just for the schools. They're spending over a billion just for the vaccine initiatives for the schools outside of everything else. And yes, in California, they're talking about substantially increasing our taxes, but you have to ask yourself, where the heck are they going to recoup this money? Why have they not in two years tried to recoup this money in a substantial way? And so that freaks me out, right? Because that lets me know this is not a financial grab. This is not a, this is not a money grab. This is well beyond that. There's something <laughs> else going on. And the fact that the entire world is in on it. And, you know, distinctive evidence other than the obvious Last week, was it, when the UK came out and said, we're going to lift all COVID restrictions. If you listened to the verbiage that that Boris Johnson used, and then you listened to a press conference that Newsom had the same day, and then I think it was um, Ireland. And Austria. Czech. Czech. But this was all, I'm talking about like within days of each other or on the same day. They literally used the same words. Was anyone paying attention to that? That was scary. You know, it's they, I I believe that, what was it, um, Forum 201, the World Economic Forum? You know, I was watching that yesterday again. And everything that they said, everything that they said has come to fruition. And the way that they are in lockstep over the entire world is insane. And this could not just be about money. There is most definitely something going on. And then, you know what, just look past, look past all that and go, go back in history and see all of the things that have happened throughout history and how we have had major episodes of, um, you know, genocide or depopulation, you know, AKA. So, um, you, you look at that and you look at how they've done it and it, it's very similar to how they are doing it now. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure it out. Um, you could literally watch, I think there's like 10 documentaries on it, right? Watch the cabal. 
Yeah. Or the fall of the cabal. Yeah. Yeah. And and guess what? It's well, it's well evidenced, right? I mean, it's incredibly well cited. So no hearsay, no rhetoric. Teresa really has taken the red pills. I respect that. You watch that. You're walking the walk. It's don't mess with my kid. I know it's shout out bit shoot. They have fall of the cabal, but doesn't it? I said that I think last week on a podcast was, it seems very weird that all of a sudden it's mandates are over and everyone's cheering and it's like, dude, it feels like we're entering the eye of a storm is what it feels right. like. It doesn't right. feel like priest, uh, priest and I both said, what are they up to? Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's seriously, it's, it's when the really like mean substitute teacher is like really nice, dude. I mean, yeah. some people are cheering, but other people are like, man, I, I think we're, I think we're screwed. It's so, but it's also, <laughs> it's the financials that doesn't make sense to me. I'm not even a business person, but I mean, there are diminishing returns. The only thing I could compare this to, and I don't, I'm not even a sports buff, but like, it's like the pitcher throwing at his arm, like the hundred million dollar pitcher throwing at his arm and just abusing himself. And there's diminishing returns. Why is he doing that? Well, it's game seven of the world series. You're about to have mm-hmm. six months off you know, you're in it to win it. It's about the guy getting like cortisol injections in the leg, despite the fact that his like knee is fractured. Why? It's the final two minutes of the Super Bowl. Some things make sense when it's just forget everything else, balls to the wall, we're going forward. Why else would we be doing this? It's because you're at the finish line. It's you're at the end zone. What the hell is the end zone? That's, and I... Like, I don't know. And not, not only that, you had the inflation during stagnation, right? You had all this money being pumped in with the stimulus checks during the time that we had lockdowns. So you have stagnation of businesses, yet they were throwing money at people. It was insane. And how are you going to recoup from that? And it's still happening. And it's still wow. happening. Happening and where where is all of this money coming from? And how are they going to recoup? And why do they not care about that? And then you know, and so one one of the answers that I have for people is if you want to see if you can hurt them, you know, where it actually hurts in the pocketbook, stop spending money. Yeah. Stop right. spending well, money. And stop it's, going on vacation. Don't you know? Literally, just buy whatever you need because we are a capitalist economy, and we are crippled if people are not using their disposable income for things that they don't need. And so, you know, that would be a nice little test run. Let's have everyone just literally stop buying things they don't need. And then let's see what happens to them. Right. And it's changing the psychology, though, of the workforce, right? I mean, you have all these people that have been incentivized to stay home, to not pay their rent, not pay their student loans. And now look at what's happening. You cannot hire people. And they continue to get an extension and an extension and another extension on um, these these social programs that are funding and encouraging these people to stay home. I mean, at some point, um, they're they're going to continue to ask for more and more social programs. If you can imagine, you have someone that that's let's say stayed home for the last two years and not worked. Do you think that person's really incentivized to go out and get a job? They're more incentivized now to stay home and figure out what other what other social program that they can collect on. 
And it really is changing the psychology of the workforce. Tommy, as we're talking about this, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking you're probably right. They're just going to replace us with a bunch of AI. But, but, that, <laughs> but, but the, it kind of starts to paint you into that picture where it's like, where are they getting rid of all of us? Why are they getting well, I heard, I'm sorry, I mean to cut no, you off. No, 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 I don't care. I don't care. So I was watching the news the other day and I, I could not believe it. There is a group, and I'm, I'm going to have to look this up and send it to you, but apparently there is a group that has like over a million followers. And the whole premise of this group is that they are all about not having to work. Like they don't oh, believe yeah. that they should, yeah. they should have. Did you see this? Anti-work. Yeah, it's a bunch of fat communists. Yeah. What? I mean, the fact that they have this many people even coming together and so this is their this is their common bonding point over the fact that they that they they shouldn't have to work. Can you imagine? Like this is really changing the psychology of of the workforce in in this country and really around the world. You know, it could almost kind of make sense if there was like growing autonomy in our lives were getting easier and easier. <laughs> like if over like the decades we were going to like a 30 hour work week, a 20 hour work <laughs> week, a 10 hour, things are getting better. Crime's going down. There's less resource scarcity. Technology is increasing. It does make sense. And that we kind of get to a point where like, Hey guys, I think we kind of hit utopia, but it's, it's not that there's no food on the shelves. There's, oh, there's you can't no. talk out without getting banned. You're called a yeah. racist and a Nazi. What, I mean, what have Marx been screaming for 200 years? Workers of the world unite. So finally, a bunch of truckers unite against what? The marriage between government and corporations, fascism, workers of the world. Well, uni- not like that. Don't unite like that. And we see something like Biden with the vaccine mandates or it choking up at the ports in L.A. and off the East Coast. We're looking at all this and we're like, at first you go, oh, this idiot, he's so doomed. But then you start looking at it, you're like, dude, I don't I don't think that they're going, oh no, guess we're not gonna have a flow of food and goods anymore. I think it's what they want. I think that you're introducing a problem. If it's not depopulation, <laughs> what you're doing is you're bringing in a problem so bad that you can bring in a solution that 10 years ago, we would have resisted tooth, tooth and nail. But if you bring in hell, you can kind of people start to look at, oh, you know, purgatory is not so bad. But if you bring in purgatory where everything's good, no one's going to want it. To me, if it's not depopulation, what it is, is you make the world hell and then you introduce on a silver platter. You go, here it is. I don't know what that is. Here's here's purgatory. Yeah. And then you go, (laughs) you go, I'll take it. Yeah, I'll take it. You know, I don't want McDonald's. It's gross. And then it's two in the morning. You're hammered and you guys, everything's closed. And then you see McDonald's and you're like, dude, I'll fucking take a Big Mac right now. Well, that's what they did. That's that's what they did to get us to this point uh, with regard to the vaccines and everything else. Right. And this this goes along with what I'm sure you talked to Dr. Malone about um, Matthias Desmet's theory of mass formation. I had him on with Matthias Desmet. Oh, that's right. You were. You're so lucky. Um, you know, that's that's exactly what they did. They completely took everything from us and then said, but here's the carrot. Here's the one cure that's going to take the lockdowns away, that's going to take the masks away, and you get to be free. We actually saw billboards around the country that were saying things like, you want real freedom? Go get the vaccine so you can partake in society. And, you know, my, my little boy was so smart. And he goes, 
but mom, if you take the vaccine and it causes you to get sick, you're stuck in a bed, you're not free anyway. And I'm thinking no one's going to think that because they have literally hypnotized us um, and, and gotten us to a point where we do think that heaven doesn't exist anymore. We should just settle for purgatory because here's how, and this is where we're living. They've managed to create Stockholm syndrome for the entire human race. It's, it's insane. It's all I can think is Malone and McCullough are going to see this and be like, Oh God, it started. It started as uni unity project. Well, they, they talk to us daily. Yeah. So they already know we're, we're, you know, yeah, it's, we are on board with that. Um, because how else do you explain it? You yeah. know, I mean, how else do you explain any of it? Again, look in history, look at what happened to the, ho- during the Holocaust. How the heck did that happen? Yeah. How the heck did, millions of Jews die at the hands of people who a lot of a lot of whom were otherwise good human beings right that if you had asked them a year before could you ever see killing a Jew or being complicit in killing someone because of their religion they most likely would have said absolutely not how does that happen I mean the human psyche my degree is in psychology the human psyche is an amazing phenomenon and it is malleable, unfortunately, for good and evil. And that, I think, is the plight, isn't it? To ensure that your spirit, and by spirit, I mean your morals, are stronger than your mind. Yeah. Um, that's the best that we can hope for in, in hopes that, you know, the majority don't end up like this. The majority, or even if the majority do, that there are enough <laughs> of us, even that 20%, that stands up and fights back for those people that are essentially in the middle and, you know, throw, throw their hands up and don't even know what, what to do. At least we can save them too. Yeah. Well, and, and we could start, I mean, we could go down the, the, the whole rabbit hole of like generation after generation, our society is becoming weaker and weaker and weaker. And now we're at a point where we don't, we don't have people in society that are strong enough to even stand up against what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. Hard times make strong men, strong men make mm-hmm. good times, good time make weak men, weak men make strong times. Or we could look at the we could look at the silver lining and be like, oh, it, you know, the world's America's kind of finding its balls again. Like you could look at it that way. I, I don't I don't know. And if I know we've been going two hours, so well, I I, I want to. You're gonna of, have a lot of editing to do. I'm not I'm not <laughs> editing a I'm not editing a thing. I'm gonna be like Doctor McCall. What about the part? you left and i left no no dude I, i'm sitting here by myself literally <laughs> done episodes with like malone where i'm like i think episode 495 when i had him on like, i was like halfway through and i was like i gotta go to the bathroom can you monologue and he was like my food just got here uber's here yeah yeah but so, <laughs> but so but to like really zoom out when you look at all of this is it depopulation is it the introduction of robots is it a money grab is it a tracking the movements of people through digital ids is it about you know the boiling the frog all these things i kind of take it one step out even more and whether it's through meditation or through prayer or through psychedelics or through whatever to zoom out even more i can't help but feel that like i'm not here by accident i don't mean that as like an egocentric thing but it's like, what are the chances that like I'm alive during this? And part of me thinks none of us are here by accident. And I don't mean to 
push God or meditation or psychedelics down anyone's throats, but I just mean in general, like, is it just, man, life was pretty cool. And then there's this pandemic. Like, I guess it's the the end of human history or, you know, when you're in a movie theater and you see Iron Man fighting Thanos, you don't think, what are the chances I was here for this? No, it's the movie. That's the ticket you bought to go be here to have this experience. Is all of this an accident? Or is it like, no, dummy, what, you think I'm just going to throw you on Earth so you can, you know, have a horse and live on a farm? I think part of it is, is we're in this insane time with with Elon Musk throwing cars into orbit and Joe Rogan, the Fear Factor guys, you know, interviewing McCullough and Malone. And you have all these weird things happening. And fact check, this isn't a violation of the Nuremberg Code. And it's like, dude, if you even have to defend the fact that you're violating the Nuremberg Code, we have vaccine bans and we've got creepy things and Big Bird saying, take the shot. And you know, it's like the Grinch, his heart growing three sizes, but it's actually just the heart tissue. Sometimes you have to look at it and go like, are we... What is, is this just an experience? Are we some weird soul that, and that we're just here to develop and there's another life after this? Is this all just a movie and we're just entertaining ourselves? Or is it just hell on earth and it's just, we had a bad roll of the dice? Can I tell you what I think it is? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think if it's nothing else, it's good versus evil. Yeah. I 100% yeah. believe it's good versus evil. Um, and I And I think that, you know, I'm not a religious person. I'm, I'm, I always tell Laura, she's a, a professional schizophrenic because she's done so many different things professionally. Uh, <laughs> I'm kind of a spiritual schizophrenic, right? Because my parents are devout Muslim, like prayed five times a day, never drank. Um, I grew up in America. I didn't even know, you know, what I was. And then, you know, if I had to align with anything, it would probably be Buddhism. Um, so I'm all over the place, but I definitely believe in God. And for me, I have seen that this country and really this world has kind of moved away from God or spirituality. I'm I'm not a big proponent of religion. I I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this, but I actually think that religion is another means to control the masses. But um, I do, I do feel like there's religion. Well, I do feel like there is this, this movement away from God and spirituality. And I do think that, you know, I hate to use the word reset, but I do think we needed a kick in the rear, uh, with regard to that. And I don't think anything's an accident. I, I, I don't believe in luck. I don't believe in, in accidents. I think everything's intentional. And, um, I think that people needed this and, and that silver lining that you talk about, uh, we can't do anything unless we have hope of a silver lining. We can't as human beings, move forward unless there's hope. So I do believe that there's hope and I do believe that there's a silver lining. And at this moment, I know Laura and I are devastated. We're devastated for all the kids. We're devastated for our own kids. There's not a day that I don't cry. I hate to admit that on a podcast that maybe millions of people will see, but there's not a day because I can't help it. I can't see children being discriminated against or killed or hurt um, and not shed real tears. But I do believe in my gut, and I don't know why, that if this is a fight of good versus evil, we for sure are going to win. And I saw it written somewhere, it's not my quote, that never in history have the people who fought for human rights and freedom been the bad guys. It has always been the other way around. So I do believe we're the good guys. 
And I do believe we're going to win 100%. But I don't think that's the real question. I think the real question is, are we going to let this happen again? Are we going to do things to make sure that the future generations recognize the signs of tyranny and evil and stop it in its track? nip it in the bud? Are we going to have education reform where we're teaching children in school about what happened here and the multitude of times that happened in history and to train them to recognize it because that's applicable. I don't even remember what geometry is. It wasn't applicable in my life. Um, but I'll tell you, if someone had taught me when I was 11 years old that, hey, this is how tyranny happens. Here are the signs. I right. bet you that wouldn't have been here today. Um, and so, you know, things like that. Are we going to change our, our our television program? Are we going to change our commercials? You know, change the entire way that our countries collectively work so that our children are never subjected to this evil again. And I think that's the true plight in all of this. Well, I think these things right here, right? The phones, I think social media has opened up this this environment, this gateway to communicate with human beings and change how how human beings interact with one another, what their perception of reality is. All of a sudden, um, you know, before, you know, when we were growing up, you'd come home and your parents would have on the, you know, the news, the world news, and that was the information. But it was, for the most part, um, they tried, I, I, I like to believe they tried to be somewhat um, covering of all perspectives, but now everyone is incredibly myopic. So if you are someone who very much believes in the doctrine of you've got to get vaccinated, you've got to wear the mask, Dr. Fauci is the holy grail to all of this, you're going to sit in front of the, your phone and get a constant nonstop feed of whatever that messaging is, right? Or conversely, if you're someone that, ha- that really sees through a lot of this, you're going to filter out the the nonsense of what Dr. Fauci's messaging is. And so, Parisa, to your point, I, I do have a lot of hope, but I think a lot of it also, we got we to gotta solve that problem. And that's really how they're targeting the, the adolescent community. That's what's happened with this generation. You know, it's totally skewed their, their perception of, of reality and um, how they engage in life, what they value, uh, based on what's what's right at your fingertips. Well, what, get, guns kill. I mean, people kill people, not guns, right? I think it's the same thing with the phones. Well, and as a proud the, member of the I NRA, think at the end of the day, I think at the end of the day, it comes to what we teach our children, right? right? Um, and I think it does start in the home always. Um, well, and that's the there's problem, always going to be internet, there's a dis- there's, there's a total war. Right. There's a total war and destruction, though, um, on the nuclear family. Right. Of course. Of and course. so, I mean, we, we could talk for hours about this, but that's also Tommy, one. You have to help us become tech proof. Well, it's it's no, it's I, I think you're both making valid points of what you said, Laura, about phones. It's but the technological flow will never stop. You know, when once I mean you know, once you start kind of roaming out in the agricultural revolution or, you know, mm-hmm. once you start building with bricks or, you know, getting swords or building boats or writing or the printing press or stained glass windows or going to the new world or making music or the radio or the photograph or the phonograph. The wheel. Yeah, <laughs> but seriously, but everything, it's 
and then it's the radio and then it's the TV and then it's the internet and then it's the phone and coming up next is VR and then the metaverse and then whatever the hell is after that. The march never stops. So that's what you said, Laura. Priest, what you said about good versus evil, I'm kind of the same spiritual schizophrenic. I grew up in a Roman Catholic household going to private Catholic school, was an atheist for several years, then uh, lost lost my older brother to suicide in 2014, and I went off the deep end. Started doing a ton of uh, like psychedelics, LSD, like in the woods, just meditating. Went got really into Buddhism. Kind of found my way back to some sort of. Now I believe in God. I don't necessarily believe in organized religion. I meditate every day. But eventually, when you go through enough of these iterations, whether it's these kids in the damn wheel or these kids in the damn internet, it's going to be the next thing. And then the same thing on the spiritual side. It's whatever thing you're going through, you kind of start to realize you're like, oh, dude, this is the same message and different things is I think it does just come down to good versus evil, whether it's like a, a lion eating a lamb or whether it's like truckers, you know, occupying Ottawa and mm-hmm. it will go on forever in a billion years. It will be unrecognizable to us. But if you really boil it down, I think ultimately you'd say, oh, this is good and evil. So then the question comes up, how do we make sure good wins? We have to try your hardest, but back to what Dr. Keith Rhodes said about uh, not every sacrifice is transactional. I think what matters is is you do your best. And if you do your best, you win, you won. You might not see the dissolution of the evil, but you played your position in this short life. You did the, you did your thing. You're in the school play. You did your part. It's not your fault if the stupid kid forgot his lines. You did your part. <laughs> that's all you can do. And that's all you can do. So from that sense, it's actually pretty beautiful because you go, oh, I just I just got to do the right thing. And it's, you know, it's, you know, I'm 31 and I'm, it's kind of dawning on me in the last like, you know, six months that. It kind of really is all that it is, is, oh, you just got to do the right thing. And it's a beautiful realization. And, um, right. yeah. So. The question, the, the question is how do we, how do we get people to realize that doing the right thing is not, um, just going along with whatever the government is telling you to do, right? That whole got to do our part narrative. Lead, lead by example. I think that's all you can that's, do. You know. That's all you can do. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Yeah. And we've been going for two hours and 12 minutes. So I say, I say we wrap this one up. Um, okay. Thank you so much guys for coming on. Thank you. That was fun. Thanks as for having us. Yeah, no, Hey, my platform's yours. Um, it's always y'all's to use. I tell McCall Malone that all the time, feel free to come on here and we can do it. Everyone I'm permanently banned from YouTube anyway, so it doesn't matter. So we can talk about anything, but, um, <laughs> but thanks for the work that you're doing because it's people like you that will ultimately, um, change what's happening in this country. So, no, same thank with you. you. Tommy, where are you at physically? I'm in Maryland. So we can stalk you. Yeah, you, can, <laughs> you can stalk me. Yeah, some, I'm in Mar- I was in Georgia. I gradu- graduated UGA in 2013. Uh, nice. Like I said, lost my brother in 2014. My parents lived Sorry. in Maryland, and I moved home in 2016 because I was just going straight down, just drugs. Just, I was getting suicide. <laughs> lived at home God, for like five years. I wish I could years. do psychedelics. When your when your back is against the cliff, and up until that, up until then, I was always terrified of it. And then I lost my brother, and I was like, "Dude, I am not getting to the bottom of what happened in like a book yeah. or talking to a therapist." I was like, "I need to go sit in the woods, eat some mushrooms, and commune with God." 
Well, yeah. I'm supposed to go do ayahuasca. Maybe you'll come with me. I'll do. I'm terrified. I'll do it with you. I'm, I haven't done ayahuasca. I'm scared shitless. When, when are you, why are you supposed to do this, Courtney? So is this a unity uh, project event? This is a unity project of the soul. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, um, this is interesting, Tommy. You'll appreciate this. So, uh, Laura, you know what ayahuasca is, right? Um. I, I think I think I do. So, Tommy, just really quickly, she, we, everyone teases me. I was actually a Catholic as well, but I'm pretty like I haven't even smoked a cigarette in my life. Low, like I'm pretty straight laced. Yeah. Everyone teases me about. Yeah. So, I think it's like it's a drug, right? Yeah, I well, yeah. it's a. They don't call it a drug. They call it a medicine, okay. but it's a hallucinogenic. Okay. And what it's supposed what. No, I'm, I'm like, I'm interested. Okay, you've got my attention. Um, so so it's basically supposed to complete you, completely expose you spiritually, right? So that you can see, because, and, and Tommy will appreciate this as, a, as someone who studied Buddhism. You know, Buddhists say that everything in this world is an illusion. The only thing that's real is love, period. There is nothing else that's real, love. And the worst illusion is fear. Right. And so always lead with love, never fear, and just know everything around you is an illusion. Right. Like when you talk about the phone, it's irrelevant how much technology advances. It's irrelevant what social media yeah. is, because at the end of the day, it resides with you and you have the ability to recognize that it's an illusion and not be affected by it, just mm-hmm. like anything else in life. So, mm-hmm. um, so ayahuasca allows you to basically eliminate all the illusions and really see yourself and see things for, for what they are. And, or that's purported to do that. So the problem with it is, and this is why I can't do psychedelics. I'm such a control freak that I will space the F out. Right. And so that's my fear. But if I go with someone who's done psychedelics and like is comfortable in that realm and then I just want the experience. But this is this is really interesting, Tommy. You'll appreciate this. My niece went to do um, ayahuasca in Mexico. Okay, like the real thing, you know. And she said that all she heard for the two nights that they were doing is the first day they give you like a half dose, and the second day they give you the full dose. Right? Um, she said all she heard for two nights were just people screaming and moaning like it was a war zone. And she said the people, the organizers and the shamans said at the end of the two days that it was the worst experience they've had in decades of doing this. And what people were talking about most, COVID. Yeah. And what they were, as if they could see the evil, as if they could feel the evil around them. And I got to tell you, you know, without sounding like uh, a spiritual nutcase, um, I feel that very much. Mm-hmm. And I have for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. I can feel this evil around us constantly. Um, but I also feel like we're winning. I also can feel like something's happened and I can feel like the evil is lifting and that we're coming through and, you know, I'm calling us the good, but I don't care. It's not egocentric. I think we are the good. Um, and so, you know, I, I feel that, but I, I want to do ayahuasca because I wonder if it would make me see it more clearly. You know what I mean? Like it would be this super cool <laughs> awakening experience or enlightening it's oh my uh, god psychedelics are the glasses for the soul 
I was yeah. I was terrified of them forever. It was the day after I graduated college. It was about four months before my brother even died. It was the day after I graduated college. I had ACM MCAT. I'd gotten to medical school. I was in great <laughs> shape. I was super, I was super just like clean cut, like barely drank, barely smoked, had the hot girlfriend. I was like, everything is on path. You know, I'm going to be Dr. Kerrigan. It's all perfect. <laughs> but deep down inside, I knew I was absolutely miserable. I was like, there, there's has to be more than this. I loved the idea of what I was going to be. And I remember the day after I graduated, I told my best friend who'd been trying to get me to do psychedelics forever. I was like, dude, I have to do it. And we went out into the woods and did it. And like you were saying, Priest, I was, I was like, I'm going to, I'm a control. I mean, I had up until 2017, I had clinical OCD, like had to go. They said I I was, I was probably should have been hospitalized. So talk about Mm -hmm. control freak. I went into it and that was my logic was like, oh man, I'm going to be a control freak. But saying it's not going to work because I'm a control freak is like, you know, being like, oh, I'm going to walk into this hurricane, but it's not going to be great because I like having my lighter lit. And it's like, dude, hurricane does not give a shit about your lighter. It does not care. And I went in and you're so I just remember laughing because I couldn't believe I had been scared at the prospect of this. It was just it just opens up. I didn't see anything. I was just sitting out in a field and it just opens up. And like the realization dawned on me that like, I can do anything I want and be happy. Like it doesn't have to be medicine. Like you can still work hard and pay your bills, but do something that you love. And I didn't know what that thing was. And so Mm -hmm. I jumped into the void. I withdrew my acceptance from medical school. I didn't even know what I wanted to do. It wasn't like I saw a thing. I tried writing. I tried graphic design. I tried editing videos. I tried everything. It took five years to even start this podcast. And it wasn't until Mm -hmm. the last year that it's actually something that pays for my apartment now. But it does it scrubs it all completely clean. It's the windshield wipers. And it just shows you in blinding clarity, like what needs to be done. But what made me decide to move home in August 2016 was a massive dose of psychedelic. When I say I do them, I mean, I did them five times in five years. You don't need a lot. Was it was that'll be me? It was but I realized I was like, I took a massive dose. I mean, an insane dose. And I was like, oh, I'm hurtling towards suicide. Like I've gained weight. I'm broke. I'm angry at everyone. I don't take care of myself. I'm a shadow of an echo of what I used to be. This is exactly where I'm going. And I moved home and it sucked. And for five years, I spent half my 20s, 600 miles from everyone I knew, living at home with my parents. Like I love my parents. That shit sucked. But I would have never done that if it wasn't for the clarity they provided. And as Alan Watts said about psychedelics, they're a tool. Once you get the message, you hang up the phone. Once you have the microscope and you see the thing, draw it. Now you don't need the microscope anymore. It is just clarity. And I think that's why probably still in effect from that like 2016 dose. I think that's why like unflinchingly and unhesitatingly, I'm just like, oh, I have to interview all these doctors and Malone and McCullough. And like, yeah, I don't know. Pfizer's probably going to send a mercenary to my house and kill me. But hey, it's cool. I get it. <laughs> okay. it's the right thing. We're on the list too. Yeah. yeah. So, but, so, so, that's, so can you do psychedelics if you have a heart condition? I don't know. I'm not a doctor and I wouldn't recommend. I'm not going to recommend any advice, but. Right. I, no, I, I'm just, I'm fascinated well, by this. I, don't. I mean, if you guys, I mean, that's a whole nother 
we want the rabbit hole of all rabbit holes. You I think know. about early <laughs> treatment with ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. Wait until you start looking at like the uh, actual data from psilocybin and LSD for people with PTSD. Oh, people I, with alcohol. I did. It blows it at it's, Zoloft is like 5%. It's actually brilliant. It is. Shame on us. Well, you want to wonder why all that's illegal. It will dwarf the numbers of death from COVID from not oh, being able to me, use ivermectin. Do you know, we went, to, we went to Cuba. A group of us went to Cuba in 2017. Okay, it was right before... Uh, Trump came back into power or came into power and, and placed the embargo again. So we got to go and we went to their health ministry and their top hospital. And they showed us that they have the cure for cancer. They have not, not cancer, lung cancer. Yeah. They have the cure for cancer. This country that like basically produces cigars, right, has the cure for lung cancer. I mean, there are so many episodes like that throughout throughout the world and history with like these cures that exist that America doesn't want to talk about because of big pharma. Like for instance, during the 80s when the AIDS epidemic or the pandemic came out, um, you know, Brazil had this this cure for AIDS and HIV that was called overoxidization of the blood. And of course they shut that down. So I read a lot of stuff about LSD and how helpful it was and they shut it down. They made it illegal. That was the original. That was the original last step of the Alcoholics Anonymous program. The higher power. Yeah. It, it was literally LSD. Mm-hmm. I, I, look it up. It's when you do this. We look at the Hopkins studies that started again in the late twenty teens about the effect of psilocybin or ibogaine on guys coming back from Iraq, people that survived child molestation, all this stuff. It blew it out of. It wasn't even like kind of. It was like the same difference between like early treatment, like McCall's early treatment and like the Pfizer vax. And you go, yeah. oh my God, why isn't this everywhere? I think that, I think that is why their heels are dug in so hard right now. Yeah. Because if we do win and we go, mm-hmm. the next thing you're going to go, do you really think it was just stopping ivermectin? Do you think that's the only time they've stopped treatment? I think right. that's the whole house of cards. You're going to find stuff for, for lung cancer. You're going to find stuff for, you know, yeah. for depression, for anxiety, for diabetes. I think it's all under the hood. Maybe not a perfect Tommy, cure. I mean, we, yeah. we say we're not going to stop after this because now yeah. in, in doing the research that we've had to for this issue, we, we have learned that all of the mandated vaccines are shite. Yeah, yeah. it's scary. And it's... all the statistics that go with that, with with each medication, for instance, that all of the viruses were eradicated prior to the vaccines even being mandated, the number of deaths for like rubella being like 17, 17, yeah. and they mandated a vaccine. <laughs> and then also the, the um, problems that those vaccines caused. I mean, we didn't know that until we got in this game, but oh. now that our eyes are open, we're not going to stop. Oh, I, I feel, t- Priest and I talk all the time about how we both feel terrible that, that we ever vaccinated our children with anything. And we don't, we're careful because we don't want to be associated right now with like anti-vax because we've got to make we've got to make headway on this particular topic and then we can start to peel back all these other issues. But like, you know, I just learned that um, there was a study that was done. I think it was a I want to say a UK study that babies that were given the hepatitis B vaccine within the first thirty days of life literally had like a over a thousand percent increase in incident of autism. Jeez, it's, 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 and yeah, it's we crazy. still give, we still give the pet B vaccine the first 48 hours of life 
to infants, newborns, for a virus that is intravenously transmitted. You either have to have sex or do intravenous drugs to obtain hep B. Why the hell are we vaccinating our our two-day-olds for this stuff? Um, Or any of it. But anyways, you know, to your point that um, that that is how we've been bred and shame on on me for not having my eyes open. I literally looked at my son and I cried and I apologized. And Laura was there that day that, you know, why didn't I pay attention? Dr. Ken Albeck, the uh, the bioweapons expert I've had on here again. And I always try to, you know, make sure to clarify he wanted to be a doctor. It was the Soviet Union. It's gunpoint. Yeah. It's hey, you're going to lead up this program. Oh, yeah. So it's, <laughs> so when I say yeah. bioweapons expert, yeah, at gunpoint, uh, his youngest daughter has autism. He is so wildly brilliant. He came on my podcast once, and we talked about his history in the Soviet Union. The next seven episodes was him, and we were doing like Zoom calls with his patients in like Ukraine and Latvia and Lithuania. Mm-hmm. This guy has like all but cured autism, and it's. You look at these and you have women come on and they're, they talk about, they're like, oh my God, you know, I was crying. You can even see just five episodes later. And they're looking at Dr. Albeck like he's some sort of wizard. They're like, my life's been hell for a decade. And mm-hmm. now like I can give my son a hug without him screaming. And Dr. Albeck's no. like, yes, yes, good, good. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm like, what? I'm like what the hell is, go-? but that's what I think this is, is it's not just, oh, they're going to know we blocked ivermectin in early treatment. Yeah. I think they know. The dude, there's, there's dumb. We're standing at the foot of a card castle, and right now we're going. Just let us pull this one card, and we're like, why do they care so much about this card? And they're thinking right. like, these, they have, they just want to pull this one card. They have no idea what is behind right. us. Which, I totally agree. Yeah. Oh my god, Tommy, think about Fauci, yeah. Doctor Doctor Death has yeah. been, um, has been at the helm, the has 80s. been working fifty years. Can you imagine? Yeah, what has been done in 50 years that we're, we're unaware of? I think that is probably why. It's not right, – the only other explanation would be depopulation. If it – and I think it's probably more – I don't think it's, oh, they're going to find out we didn't let them use this. I think it's like dude. well, but how do we know? How do we know it wasn't depopulation also then? And those are the tactics. Oh, okay, it might be. It, they're, they're not mutually right? exclusive. They're not, it might, they might yeah. be the same. It's, yeah, I think they are. Oh God! Oh. <laughs> Do you know Tommy? When when I when I was um, in undergrad, I worked at a an office that did social security applications for for immigrants, right? And so I had to spend a ton of time with the SSA on the phone. And so your hold time is like freaking forty five minutes, right? Every day, forty five minutes, just sitting on hold. Well, the looped message as you're on hold was. Did you know that we may not have social security funds in 2035? And and the money that you're paying into social security today is not your money. The money you pay into social security today goes to pay for the people who are collecting social security now. Mm -hmm. And then when you are going to retire and, and be 65 and you want money, we might not have enough. And why is that? It's because... People are living longer. Life expectancy is longer. So before where you had people retiring at 65 and only living until maybe 75, 10 years on Social Security, you now have them living 20 years, 
25 years. And that's a financial strain. And so, you know, you talk about this incentive for depopulation. To me, it's not so far-fetched, right? I mean, there it is. That's just one resource that we are depleting beyond what we can contribute to. And so they'll take it out. And how do we know that every single tactic up until now, HIV, all of the epidemic, (laughs) Ebola, and all the vaccines that went with them that were actually, in fact, deadly or non-effective, were not part of this plan that is in constant existence to maintain a certain level of population. And you know, when we peel it all back and they get revealed, so to speak, then, you know, you're, you're basically exposing the entire game, right? And, and depopulation could very well be part of that incentive the entire time. And again, you know, it's irrelevant, isn't it? Right. It doesn't matter why it just matters what they're doing and us stopping it. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's the cops coming to like the serial killer and finding the body in the basement. And as bad as that is, he's like, God, I hope they don't bring like a dog and start sniffing because there's 30 bodies like that. Right. And who else (laughs) talks about depopulation? If who else in the. Oh, what a coincidence. Bill Gates. Like, Mm -hmm. like, I mean, I I mean, it it melts the brain. It absolutely (laughs) melts the brain. And have you watched the Cabal series? Yeah. I bet you. Yeah. Yeah. And so you've seen all the documented connections between Bill Gates and his different foundations, big pharma, the government, it melts planned parenthood, it melts your brain. And as the great comedian Tim Dillon said, he goes, well, you know, this is good. Half the billionaires are talking about depopulation. And then the two richest billionaires are just saying, screw this. And what are they doing? Bezos and Musk, they're building rockets to get off the planet. So nothing to worry (laughs) about, everybody. It's all going well. I actually got an ad on Instagram. <laughs> Reserve your seat to the moon now. Have you seen that? No. <laughs> no, I don't I don't read. It's yeah. a real thing. Yeah. You can start putting money into your seat to whatever planet they're gonna go to now mm-hmm. for the next 20 years until you're paid off, and then they anticipate in 20 years that we're gonna be, you know, gone. <laughs> this this it, it, uh, I tried to close it out with a joke about creepy guys in vans, and that just—I <laughs> have now been. Full, and here we are, two hours later. <laughs> we've just been dispensing the red pills like Gucci Man with dollar yes. bills. Just, oh I'm God. such a good student. <laughs> no, I, I love it. I love it. Um, yeah, but anything we haven't touched on that you guys want to get out that maybe we haven't touched on. Oh Are my god, Teresa, like, like, you know, I mean, joint, pop a pop a mushroom. Yeah, uh, yeah I feel like <laughs> I feel like that's gonna be a field trip for you guys. I might have to come and supervise. Justin will come and supervise too. Um, <laughs> Please do. Yeah, I think we've touched on it all. We've we've covered like the resources that we have, what's happening. Um, the one thing, oh, the one thing that I want to touch on yeah. that I think is really important um, that par- that we get the message out on. There is a misconception, and I talk to parents all the time, and I say, what are you going to do if, God forbid, this mandate goes through? How are you going to handle this? And they say, oh, it's no big deal. We're just going to get um, an exemption. And I think it's really important that people understand there will be no exemption. Should this go through legislatively, there is no exemption. You will have no choice. And my fear is that, that the next step will be 
okay, if people are going to pull their kids out and homeschool them, that we're going to go the way of what France is talking about doing and saying no more homeschooling. So um, France already did it. They're not talking right. about it. Well, it. right. Can, can we break that down really quickly, Tommy? Yeah, about, I have, about no, why I have that's nothing really to important. do. You guys can do it. Okay. Yeah. So, so right now, what we have is you have two different types of mandates. You have one that comes from your state Department of Health. So it doesn't matter what state you're in, right? And then you have a legislative mandate that has to go through like, you know, the Assembly, the Senate, and your governor. Um, Right now, the bills that we have proposed in California, and likely the same would happen in other states, is you have one of our senators uh, proposing a bill that would allow the Department of Health in our state, California, to mandate this drug. And why that's incredibly important is because when you have a legislative mandate of a drug, it must be an FDA-approved drug. But when you're mandating it through the Department of Health, it need not be an FDA-approved drug. You can mandate the emergency use authorized drug. That's the first importance. The second is, in our state, for instance, Our laws state that if a drug is mandated through the Department of Health, it must, not may, it must include a personal and or religious belief exemption. However, the bill that we have on the table will now also remove that personal belief or religious exemption. So you are left with an EUA drug that is forced on kids with the accompanying bill that allows 12-year-olds to consent to taking it with no religious and no personal belief exemption. That's incredibly scary, but here it goes a step further. I'm contending, and I'll and I'll take, you know, I'll, I'll take the ownership of this one so that we're not saying it as a group. I contend that they are also going to remove the medical exemption. So I start seeing all of these articles about this alleged resurgence of the measles and the mumps, right? And so you automatically know that they're going to somehow relate it back to the COVID Mm -hmm. vaccine, right? And so you read these articles and you get towards the end and they start talking about how when MMR for measles, mumps, and rubella was first mandated, that they had the highest number of medical exemptions that they've ever seen in history. And so you start you start connecting the dots and you realize that they're trying to say that the reason they are having a resurgence today, an alleged resurgence, we still haven't seen it, of measles and mumps today is because of all of those people that got the medical exemption back when it was first mandated. And by that same analogy, we cannot allow a medical exemption now for this vaccine. Otherwise, we are going to say, you know, see the same resurgence of COVID in years to come, which is an asinine, you know, theory medically and scientifically, right? Because you're talking about a flu-like virus that's going to have variants as we've seen anyway, right? Um, But they're, I think, going to say that. So we're already looking at no personal belief exemption. We're already looking at no religious exemption. And I contend that we're not even going to have a medical exemption. And even if they do, you know, as Laura stated earlier, we are having doctors across the state and across this nation, like you talked to Dr. Nass, that are having their licenses either reviewed or revoked simply for giving exemptions, even when they're giving exemptions in cases to heart patients that should not be taking this vaccine because the FDA, the CDC, and and the pharmaceutical companies themselves disclaim myocarditis, pericarditis, and thrombosis, which is blood clotting, horrible for someone who has a heart issue, 
on their websites. So, you know, when you have the, the, um, combination of, you know, we're not going to let you have the majority of the exemptions and we might let you have a medical exemption, but we're going to basically lock down any, any doctor that would give you that medical exemption, then you have nothing. You literally have no choice. And we also do believe, as Laura stated, that they're going to do what France did and they're going to lock down the ability to have, uh, you know, homes because we're already seeing throughout the country multiple episodes of parents being arrested in front of their children in their homes for homeschooling, and they're calling it child neglect. They're calling it child endangerment. It's it's crazy when the parent is literally sitting with the child in the house at the time that they're getting arrested. Um, so, you know, that's what's coming, and that's to your point of why are they so afraid? Why? What are they afraid of? And why are they pushing so hard? They're literally trying to block every single <laughs> avenue of recourse we have that would, you know, have a semblance of a choice associated with it. Um, they're they're taking egregious measures, and you got to ask yourself why. And and if there's one thing I guess that I would want to impart on your audience is that understand the exemptions will not be available. Uh, I think that's the big factor right now where you see people that are kind of going along to get along. You, you see people that are on the fence. They're not really getting actively involved because they feel as though they hold this little nugget that's in their mind says, well, I'll just get the exemption. And I, I personally believe that if people across this country and in particular California, because of what's on the horizon right now in California, if people really truly understood that should this move forward, they will have no options and potentially they won't even have the option to homeschool their child, depending on what happens um, next step with that. I think more people would get in this fight. I think you would see parents coming out in droves. We're already seeing parents come out in droves, but we would see probably double the number that are already in this fight. It does kind of seem like, I mean, like the, what's the rational mind immediately says is, okay, so they're trying to get in like in between like the most sacred bond between like parents and children and one step further, mothers and children. Like, don't you know what you're doing? Like, but they're not, these people, they're not stupid. It's very easy to go, oh, they're, they're stupid. They're not stupid. They're, the Nazis were not stupid. They were malicious and they were intelligent and they were competent. They were not incompetent. They were maliciously competent. What's going on right now? Don't they know it's going to clog up the supply chain? They're not stupid. You don't have to like them. You don't get into the Oval Office. Bush, Trump, Obama, Biden, you don't get behind that office and have the nuclear codes by being stupid. Mm -hmm. They're doing all of this and they're pushing and they're pulling away the last things. You know, we're getting rid of this, getting rid of these exemptions. We're getting rid of that exemptions. We're coming for you cannot homeschool them. We're coming for your kids. It's driving. I mean, so what would the rational mind say? Oh, there's going to be war. Is that what they want? It seems like question. you're poking them. You're, hey, dude, if you keep poking that guy, he's going to knock your lights out. Little does he know that my friend's recording it and this guy's rich. And if he knocks my lights out, I get a lawsuit out of it. You keep poking him. You keep poking him. What do you think's going to happen? Don't poke the dog. The dog's going to bite you. Well, if the dog bites me, the dog gets put down and I hate that dog. Dude, they're poking. They're coming between mothers and children. Are they stupid? I don't think so. I Well, I'm banking on the fact that. Go 
Now, I was just saying, it definitely feels very much by design, um, but it's why right now Carissa and I are so intent and we're, we've literally given up our our lives, both probably professionally and personally to be in this and spreading this message. Yeah. Because I will tell you, the last thing we probably want is war on our soil. No one wants it, is, it is not pretty. It is not glamorized. It is not like what you see in a video game. And um, I I can't stress enough that now is the time to fight the way we are fighting to prevent that from happening. But to your point, Tommy, it feels very much like design. And um, I can tell you that that we're dangerously close. I can tell you that, um, how do I say this without being too, um, (laughs) too over the top? But over someone else's dead body, will someone kick down my door and take my child out and forcibly inject her? And I guarantee I'm not the only mother that feels that way. So if we're faced with that, um, unfortunately, that's the route that that will that this will devolve into. And you got to think, well, then why, <laughs> man? If you if they couldn't, if they're collapsing the supply chain, if they're censoring yes. everyone, if they're inflating during stagnation, what would well, be your final step? How do we get the guns from people? Hey, look. Hey, look. Laura shot at us. They, they already they already started that. They already did in um, in California. Uh, Newsom, when when, you know, the, the ruling came down in Texas regarding, you know, the the case that was like Roe versus Wade, essentially reversing Roe versus Wade. Um, Newsom said, well, then we're going to treat the Second Amendment laws the same way. And we're just going to repeal those and we're not going to honor those. I mean, that was definitely by design 100% because the only thing that's keeping us right now is our second amendment rights. I mean, who was it that said historically that the, the difference between America and the rest of the world is because, you know, behind every blade of grass, they have a gun. And so, you know, that is, yeah. the, that is the difference between freedom and not unfortunately. And yeah, I constantly wonder, we all do, is this what they want? When have they not wanted war? Um, you know, do they want civil war? Is that why they're pushing us so hard? Um, and what I was going to say is I'm I'm hopeful that the reason that they made this catastrophic mistake in their timing, pushing for the kids is because they thought that they had us good. They had us hypnotized the minute that they had spent a year with lockdowns. We agreed to the lockdowns blindly. We agreed to the masking. We agreed to the social distancing. You know, a good number of people went and got vaccinated with the first and second dose. They thought that they had us, you know, good. Right. They're good. They're hypnotized. They're 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 done for. Let's just keep pushing. We can still push. But they made that vital mistake of coming too hard too soon um, with the kids. And I'm hoping that that's what happened. I'm hoping that they don't intend a civil war, that they just made a uh, a strategic error um, in calculating their timing. And then that coincided with, you know, the the force on the kids coincided with, oh, now you need a third dose and a fourth dose. And oh, by the way, Tommy, have you ever noticed that on the vaccine cards, there's four slots? I just noticed this when a friend of mine showed me the other day and I 
posted it and I said, that's what I call foreshadowing, right? <laughs> like they knew, I know, it's funny. Um, I caught they it. knew I caught the that they were going to have four, but you know, no one questioned it. And it's almost like all of these little tests were out there and, and the government and, and the powers that be were keeping a close watch and how we never questioned, we never questioned and we kept letting them encroach and encroach and encroach. And so they thought that they could take these final steps with our kids and with the additional boosters and we weren't going to say anything. And I'm hopeful that it was just a, you know, calculated error, an error in their uh, strategic moves. Um, and, and you know, they're, they're going to fail because of it, because now we're going to revolt. And you have people that were, you know, in the middle or on the left, like myself, that said, excuse me, hell no. And to Laura's point, over someone else's dead body, will you ever <laughs> force vaccinate my child? You know, and now I'm to the point where I'm saying, not even masks, no more. Now that I know the psychological and physical harm that my child is incurring by virtue of wearing a mask, not even that, none of it. Non-compliance across the board. You know, what What was the guy from, from that news movie? I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. <laughs> right. um, I'm here and I'm from the middle and the <laughs> left. Um, I'm sure there are millions more like me, let alone everyone, you know, who is freedom loving on the right. Um, that's that's already been saying this stuff for years. So hopefully, hopefully just a bad move on their part. I I like to think of it as two years ago, it seemed like, like Thanos, I am inevitable. It was like, oh, they're going to lock us down. They're going to make us do all this. But, you know, no war plan or no war game. No, sorry, no war plan uh, survives first contact with the enemy. So you have these weird outlets that they didn't plan for. They got the news buttoned up, right? They got the trusted news initiative. Trusted yeah. news initiative. They, you know, they spotted uh, McCullough Malone. Hey, we got to label them now. If someone gets right. on YouTube, we're gonna kick them off. And if I get kicked off, other channels are like, all right, well, maybe we won't get kicked off. They had it all pretty well buttoned up. No one was expecting soccer players to drop dead on TV, and it was like. Okay, well, if we ban soccer, that's going to wake up a lot of people. So you got to kind of just let it happen. So there's this whole thing where, oh, we're all just pretending that the house isn't on fire. Another soccer player dead. How are you doing, Bob? Yeah, no, there's another one face down, 25. <laughs> but do you think that they didn't know? And the reason I asked that is because, you know, they're starting to normalize pediatric cardiac events oh, no. climate change uh, right? you seen that commercial? Oh, oh my god have you seen the news articles where it's like post pandemic stress disorder or now more than ever because of climate change infants are having heart attacks and it's like dude, <laughs> you know, dude did you know that they sent out to schools in new york and in california directives to parents advising them that they have educated their school personnel to deal with sudden cardiac arrest in children it's that prevalent. Yeah. And they're normalizing the crap out of it. And to your point about the soccer players, if you saw that commercial, they actually had one of the little girls that yeah. dropped face down on yeah. the ground. She was in a soccer uniform. Yeah. yeah. I mean, holy crap. They have no bounds. Right. Yeah. It's, it's So now it's, the, the, I mean, if, and it's interesting because I feel like I can see it plain as day. I know Parisa can, I know you can. I'm wondering how is it that the mass population isn't seeing this plain as day that it is not normal for the pediatric population to have cardiac events it's never been we are ai laura we are ai they've succeeded 
They didn't even need to replace humans with robots. They needed to program us like robots. We are AI, the majority of us that fell for all of this crap. I think, Laura, what you said is how come the majority of people haven't woken up to this? I think they have. And it shows how effective their propaganda is because we're still saying, how come everyone hasn't woken up? I think they have. They do a very good job at manipulating numbers on social media, banning, getting rid of dislikes, getting rid of comments so that we're all going. How come no one else is awake? (laughs) Meanwhile, I'm sure in every other house they're going, how come no one else is awake? That's what gives me hope. And what you said about did they not foresee the soccer players? Maybe they did. What I meant was is that's not something that you originally like plan for. They've got the media outline. We're going to have the guys in the white coats. We're going to go precedence. We're going to. But there are these weird, they weren't expecting the fear factor guy to be interviewing Dr. Malone, who's wearing uh, a coronavirus tie. Like that wasn't, (laughs) that wasn't a thing. Why did that happen? They weren't, that's what I mean is there's these little things on the periphery. They weren't expecting a bunch of truckers in Canada to go occupy Ottawa. Like there are these variants that they can't control. And it's, it's so complex that there's always going to be escape variants. No plan ever survives. That's why I'm hopeful is because there's going to be something else that's going to pop up and. Yeah. And to your point um, about people are starting to wake up. I will say I am inspired on a daily basis by the number of people that I come across um, in my daily life that are so excited to find out that we're, we're in this fight and feel the exact same way. And people that, you know, coming from the state of California, um, <laughs> you expect every single person here to be, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid of, yeah. of Dr. Fauci and the Biden administration's response to this pandemic. Um, and it, like I said, I'm inspired every day by just going through my daily life and meeting people, people that you would not expect that are totally fighting these, these mandates. Well, I knew you were from day one, Parisa. <laughs> I voted for them. But, <laughs> but what I mean is Parisa is probably not an abnormality. Like we're laughing. Right. We're like, oh, she took yeah. the red pill. No, we, we see it because you're here on camera. How many people right. are out there that just don't do podcasts or they were banned from Facebook? You don't see it. So it's... Um, it makes me think of this uh, this analogy, and I've, I've used it before, and it's <clears throat> it's the it's the concept of the panopticon. It was a type of prison that was designed in like the sixteen or eighteen hundreds. I don't know, but it's the guard tower in the center, and then the the prison is a circular building around it, and from the guard tower in the center, you can see into every single cell. When you're in the cell. You can't see the guy to the right, to the left, above, below. And when you're looking out, you can't even see the other ones on the other side of the circle because the guard tower's in the center. So all you can see as a prisoner is the guard tower. So what's the guard tower? Well, they have, you know, they have mirror windows or it's tinted. You never know if you're being watched. So you always mm-hmm. act like you're being watched. But the guy in the guard tower might be sleeping. There might be no mm-hmm. one there or he might be watching you. You don't know. Furthermore, you can't you can't know what is outside your bubble. And this is the example I came up with was imagine that they could, you know, every guy, every guy in the jail cell, every 
every prisoner had their own iPad and a question popped up and it said two plus two is what? A, four, or B, five. And you hit four. And the little intercom comes in and it's like, hey, Tommy, uh, this is Bob in the guard tower. I don't want to like make you feel weird, but you're literally the only one that said it's four. Everyone else said it's five. I don't want to embarrass you. I don't want to embarrass you, but you're the only one that said it. And I'm going, oh, shit, am I really that guy? Meanwhile, every person in every cell is getting that same message. So whereas 100% of people know the answer is four, the guy in the guard tower is going, it's five. So finally, they all start answering five. Then the gates open and everyone comes out and goes, but I said five, I said five. It's effective for us to think we are alone. How is no one else mm-hmm. awake? It's just us. Of course, it's a tactic. It's That's what I think it is. There, I think, there are so many psychological studies about what you just said. It's brilliant. And there are psychological studies, and I'm sure, I can't remember the name of it right now, and I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, that goes so far as to see if people will comply even when it comes to even if they know it's wrong hurting another human yeah, being right no, remember no that electric yeah, that, no that, that electric pulse um so you know again like i said the human psyche is phenomenal and is a phenomenon and um there are no bounds to how malleable it is and governments bank on that right. uh, we are very very easy targets and that's why i say we don't even need to fear AI because yeah. we can operate just like AI if someone knows how to program us. Right. Um, it's unfortunate. It's the truth. Um, and that's, you know, again, it comes back to teaching our kids, educating ourselves and then teaching our kids to recognize signs of this going forward so that when it happens, when it begins to happen, they can nip it in the bud, we hope, mm-hmm. Right so that future generations will never be subject to this again. Because the reality is, this just happened not 100 years ago with the Holocaust. And here we are, according to Vera Shrav, allowing it to happen again. Um, And this time it's not concentrated. Yeah. Right? This time it's not concentrated. This time it's global. Yeah. It's, but again... If the situation- I am so sorry, you guys. I have a, a call um, that oh, it, oh, no, he called. And I-, I was about to end it because I have another guest at yeah. six o'clock. So what I was going to say <laughs> is if the situation was hopeless, the propaganda wouldn't be necessary. So to me, Very I'm like, good, good, good. Plus, we've got Malone and McCullough. So, you know, they're awesome. Around. All right. Exactly. Thank you so much, guys, for coming on here. I will. This will be uploaded thank later you, tonight. Tommy, I'll email so to you guys. Much. No, thank you. I would love to have you guys back on sometime. My platform yeah. is yours. Uh that was an insane conversation that went places <laughs> I didn't think it was going to, but I loved every second of it and I wouldn't yeah, trade it for the world. Us too. Thank you Thank so much. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Right. I'll put the links to all the Unity Project, Malone's Getter, McCullough's Twitter. Everything will be in the description as always. Thank you Perfect. so much. I'll email to you guys later. Take Recording care. Recording stopped. God bless.